0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Nielsen Show, this week's episode. I'm sorry if you guys just uh, have been dying to hear my voice again. (laughs) Uh, Had a lot of things going on last week, uh, pounding some dirt up the hillside and putting some miles on the legs, but uh, also some other just normal people stuff. Life got busy. Um, So here we are again with this week's episode, trying to catch up with a bunch of stuff. And a few of the things I want to talk about, you know, are once again, uh, the thousand piece puzzle times 10. So trying to just put all the pieces together trying to help bring out some information on things and hopefully make sense of what's going on with our world systems, uh, to this day. So here we go. This week's episode of the Nielsen show let's get her going all right to start this episode off um just gonna go over a recap of something now I want' you you gotta listen to this very carefully once again uh, this is a, about a just under seven minute clip and I'm gonna play the entirety of it just so you get the full context and kind of understand where I'm trying to take this. Uh, And this is just only going to be one part of the cabal of crap I want to talk about today. So, this is uh, Yuri Bezmenov, the KGB defector from Russia. This was 1984.
1: Mr. Bezmenov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by? That?
2: Ideological subversion is, is the slow process, which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, active in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community and their country. the enemy. In other words, Marxism, Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. uh, For the last 25 years, actually, it's over fulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, Even if I shower him with information, with with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures. Even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he he is going to receive a kick in in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption, whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation. uh, It's what what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, And you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as as, uh, defense, to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth uh, to to destabilize your uh, economy to eliminate the principle of free market competition and to put a big brother government yeah. in Washington DC with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale who will promise lots of things never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not your leftists in, in United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders—they are instrumental in the process of the of the uh, uh, subversion, only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are not they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karmal with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking, that every second the disaster...
0: All right, so that was uh, the Yuri Bezmenov. That's like I say I think it's, he's got interviews and different things like that that he's done that are a lot longer, they're about an hour and some odd minutes, but uh, that's kind of like the condensed version that kind of hit the topic points that he's talking about. Now this was 1984, and if you ask me, basically what he's saying, I think he was a little bit off on his timing because you know he's looking at the the now. Um, more of this stuff, I would say, what he's talking about, probably, in my opinion, looks better to what is going on now. Uh, so, especially like with the World Economic Forum, this whole Great Reset thing, uh, it's it's all kind of the same principles, right? So you look at it like, uh, oh, I don't remember the guy's name now, but. Off the top of my head, but it, he's like the head guy at BlackRock. Um, him basically saying that we have to force people to do certain things, you know, because they're they're all everybody is using the climate these days as the the existential threat to humanity, which I do not fully buy into. I mean, there are there are things that I believe that are man made caused but not in the way they claim them to be um, just due to understanding how processes work or within our earth and stuff and not to get too far off onto uh, climate change stuff. Cause <laughs> you've heard enough of that from me for a while. <laughs> uh, so anyways, what he's basically talking about is the teaching the generations of this and that, you know, down. So maybe his timing, you know, at his time, Probably looked like it these things were happening, but if you ask me, it looks more or less like that it's kind of been ramped up now, pushed into more of a let's let's do this now. Uh, Klaus Schwab, the kind of the head guy, I've, you've played his clips on here before too, uh, talking about right now using the pandemic, the you know the COVID crisis, to start pushing their agendas forward. And they're getting all these world leaders to help do that. So, uh, I haven't, to get a little off topic here, I haven't talked a whole lot about what's going on in Ukraine. And I will touch on that, kind of my thoughts on that a little bit as well. Because I think what's happening is um, we're being subverted, like he's saying, into believing that Ukraine's this innocent country that oh this big bad Putin guy you know like I say he's he's not a good guy but him invading uh Ukraine is has a lot to a different ideology than what we're just you know being fed by the, the news medias because I don't think anybody's really looking at uh factors all the different factors so back to the the part of what I am talking about first. So Yuri Bezunov and his, you know, talking about teaching the the generations, you know. So how does the education system work? Well, you have to teach teachers how to teach, right? So if you get these leftist-minded professors, let's say, that are teaching, you know, semesters upon semesters for who knows how many years, with their leftist ideologies of how to teach younger kids, um because younger kids, if you understand how kids' minds work, is they're very influential on what you know what they would consider adult authoritative people, which is, you know, parents uh, and teachers for the most part when they're growing up young, you know. So if you're indoctrinating them with propaganda, by the time they reach junior high and high school, which is what you're starting to see a lot of different things on, like TikTok and all these popular things now, that if you've got kids talking anything about politics, uh, just listen to what they're saying and you can understand where their ideologies are coming from. Because it's been molded that way. It's not that they've just come up with this stuff on their own. Because if that was the case, they'd probably have a lot different perspective. Uh, But if you're only fed one side ideology, right or left. uh, And that's the the thing that usually falls apart when um, leftist ideology is challenged. Which is why they try and shut anybody down that's trying to challenge their ideology They have to be banned from platforms, uh, not have a voice. And I mean, that's kind of one of the main reasons that I even started doing this podcast in the first place is just to, I I live here in the real world, just like, you know, anybody else is listening to. I don't go to Washington. I don't go to fancy dinners and hang out with other rich people or corporate CEOs and all that good stuff, you know, that essentially like if you've taken my advice and went to the world economic forum and just watched these people talk um tell me if there's one poor person or even a middle class person that's anywhere in any of those discussions and they don't see a problem with it because they they feel like they're educated, you know, they're they're more woke with what's going on in the world but their perspective is very narrow-minded it's like oh if we just do this you know it'll make it great for everybody they try this has been a thing that has gone on since mankind has been on earth is the the ine? Uh, i don't even know how to really phrase this i want to say inequity because there's there's always going to be a poverty class whatever these people think they're creating to get rid of poverty as far as an equity, they use the word equity, which makes uh, everybody the same. That's that's kind of what their definition of that means. Make everybody the same so nobody's rich, nobody's poor, except the problem here is going to be is rich people are still going to be rich, but basically everybody else is going to be equally poor. That's, that's essentially what happens, but in their minds... Um, it it seems like they think that we'll raise the people out of poverty to the middle class, but essentially the way they're trying to do it puts everybody in the middle class down at the poor class. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can see what they're trying to do with just, just energy. And that's what I mean. That So there's so much stuff going on. It's all overwhelming that most people just want to stick their head in the sand and forget about it and just go about living their lives and, like well what can we do about it and that is part of the problem is because we're not standing up enough we are starting to see some kickback so i got to give i got to give a great big applaud to parents that are finally uh you know are being engaged with their their kids and what's going on in the classrooms because that's where it's all got to start right there is in the education system and here in the United States, realistically, and I mean, people have talked about this forever and it never happens, is get rid of some of the bureaucracy. And a lot of that is the Department of Education. They basically, it's it's a big Ponzi scheme and nobody wants to look at it that way. Because, oh, it, you know, it'll hurt our teachers. No, it won't. It'll actually make our schools better to get this government money. So what basically happens is you pay taxes. Um, and it kind of goes to the board of education through the national level. And then they divvy money back to these schools. You know, uh, it's a little different. I mean, I'm sure in every state, you know, like here in Utah, you pay property taxes. Everybody does. And then a certain amount of those portion of that property tax goes to the school districts, school districts. So, um, That that part's not part of it. But as far as like an overall national tax, um, all your federal money that goes to the federal government will be divvied into different buckets, you know, as far as it going out. So the Department of Education is just one piece of the bureaucracy of where your tax money goes. So depending on who lobbies for your state, (laughs) um, you get X amount of money oh, we need this much for this uh, certain thing or whatever, you know, we have these schools here that are really falling behind and need need more money. And we keep doing this over and over, you know, thinking we're going to get different results. We just keep increasing the the money going to these schools and nothing ever changes. And a lot of that has to do, you know, and certain parts of the country are worse than others. I'm, I'm not going to try and demonize everybody, but it uh, this is the double-edged sword I have with unions in the first place. Um, there is a reason why they're there, but I think they've been so perverted now as far as uh, what they do now. Um, you've seen a lot of this through the pandemic, especially like in Chicago and different places like that. The teachers unions got involved and, you know, and the teachers that want to abuse the system. Um Take advantage of saying, oh, we don't want to go back to school because, you know, COVID and, you know, we don't want to die, you know, totally, totally playing it up because, you know, anybody that was actually following the science knew that this thing wasn't as deadly as it was claimed to be, Um, you know, because even to this day, we're still getting reports slowly leaking out that, oh, well, you know, we had to adjust the numbers here and there, uh, coding errors, you know, a bunch of just BS stuff to try and write off why they were so wrong. Um but not if you're going to listen to the the state run media, which is essentially what all of your big broadcasting networks are. Um thank goodness realistically for the internet where you can actually go and find truth somewhere. I mean there there's stuff that people are just total conspiracy theorists and Uh, You watch them, you're like, okay, that's that's pretty crazy. It's not even making any sense. And that's what I try and do is find stuff that makes sense. And, you know, try and come back it up with actual data and facts and stuff like that, which is another thing the left hates is to your facts are wrong. They're not real facts. Our facts are the right facts, (laughs) even though those are the ones that have been debunked and, Claim that, you know, they got to project, uh, you know, different things of what's not really the truth. That their truth is the truth and your truth is not. Um, but anyways, I really wanted to start this episode off with that Yuri Bezunov clip because, I mean, it encompasses uh, the different stages of what he's talking about. And like I say, if you've looked anything on to the World Economic Forum and listened to what they're saying, I mean, out of their mouths these people think they're the elites and that they know what's best for everybody. And that's, what's driving a lot of what you're seeing now. I mean, I don't know what state you're in or country you're in even, uh, what your energy costs have gone up to right now. I mean, they all want to blame it on Russia and Putin. And, uh, that's, that's a ruse. That is complete bull crap because most of these countries have already started doing this to themselves by shutting down nuclear power plants, you know, uh hell, here in the United States, first day in office, we shut down the Keystone pipeline. And that was Biden. I mean, he had a whole stack of basically his his puppet masters stacking all these executive orders that trump had put into place to help americans out and essentially that's the problem with executive orders is because the next whoever comes in next can basically go through and undo everything you just did uh and you start seeing the effects of how this you know so let's say let's just say we'll we'll kind of pivot a little bit here to energy um let's just say they had finished they by now The Keystone pipeline would have been finished and operational. So let's just say we are pumping oil from Canada down to the refineries in the Gulf and we have this extra oil. But instead, that pipeline's cut off. They threaten to shut other pipelines down for various reasons because of this climate agenda. I mean, they openly talk about all this stuff. So if, if you're saying I'm a crazy nutbag, You can go to any of these sites and listen to them say it themselves. Um, They got this new... uh, Well, it's not new. It's been going on, I think, the last nine, ten years. Um, The World Government's... uh, What the hell is it called now? It's the World Government... Uh, Crap. Here, I'll find it here in just a second. It's the World Government... Oh, here it is. The World... Oh, boy. World Government Summit. And they're talking about, are we ready for a new world order? Now, the new world order, as if you've paid, ever paid attention to anything, has been a conspiracy theory for decades. Uh, probably since the 90s, early 90s. But, is it really? Now, the thing is, is a lot of this stuff, like Yuri Bezmenov has stated out, takes a few decades to kind of work its way through the system. I think now a lot of these people, you know, like Klaus Schwab are getting older and realizing they want to see this stuff through. So now you've got to start, you know, you've you've worked just like he said, and I've put I wish I still had that clip. I'd play it again in Klaus Schwab's own words uh, when he stated it in 2017 that they have been infiltrating the cabinets of these countries like Justin Trudeau. And Argentina, the leader of Argentina. And that's where I'm going to kind of tie in Zelensky because he is part of this whole thing as well. And we have been kind of tricked, I would say, more or less, into believing that Ukraine is this innocent country, you know. And the main thing why Zelensky got in there is because the country was really corrupt to begin with and he come in and promised that he was going to fight corruption and ended up supposedly getting 73 percent of the vote uh in that country to vote him in now that granted i'm not gonna say that there this war thing is going on over there but the problem is you've got russia with their propaganda and then you've got ukraine with their propaganda And they're both trying to win over the rest of the world's support for what they're doing. Now, there's different reasons for why Putin came in that I think a lot of people haven't really looked at. And I haven't really seen a whole lot in the mainstream news media on why Russia would. You know, nobody really seems to understand Putin. They're like, oh, he's an evil dictator, you know, and he wants just wants to take over those countries and expand his power like Hitler and or whatever stupid reason they have that doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to give, you know, just cause some other things that I've found, uh, I'm going to kind of give you a different perspective than the mainstream media. And I don't, know, maybe it'll make sense. Maybe, maybe I'm the crazy one. I don't know, but, uh, we're coming up on my 25 minute time here. So, up to my 30 minute mark. So I'm just gonna take a break here now, get my other stuff ready to go, and then we'll come back on this next part uh with a little bit of that. And like I say, all this stuff ties together. So I don't wanna it seems like if you've listened to this episode uh or any of my episodes, it seems like I'm jumping all over the place. It's because it's this is like a puzzle. You know, and if you know how hard a thousand piece puzzle is, you know, it's pretty big, got a lot of pieces, and you gotta kind of look, okay, this shape fits, no, maybe there, but it's a color over here, so it's got to go f- closer to this color of the picture. This is like a 10,000-piece puzzle because it, it is encompassing, encompassed the world. So the 1,000-piece would just be the United States. 10,000-piece is going to be all these other countries that are involved with this stuff that, you know, they're all all full-bore. Well, let's put it this way. They're not all full bore, but the cabal of countries that are all in on this, uh, with the global, I don't know, climate change now, agenda, which is kind of the driving factor of what why you're seeing what's going on with the oil industry, and all of their push for electric vehicles and uh, this the thing they want to do with like cities because they they have a, a basic, you know theology i guess that x amount of people most people are going to live in cities like large cities by 2050 or some some weird number like that and i've actually got an article i'm going to read on that uh so let me think on how i want to put this together to start off the next bit um actually i got one other clip too that i want to play from tucker carlson before i get too far off of like the education thing and this actually goes for the state of utah and our governor because we've seen the other thing with Desantis going on in the disney dispute thing and we'll, we'll talk about that too a little bit too i guess before i get too far off the rails on this other stuff um and what's really kind of going on in florida it's not the like i said in the last or whatever episode it was it's not the don't say gay bill it's about parents having rights to not have teachers or whoever coming in and talking transgender or the LGBT, the, the alphabet soup people stuff to kids that don't understand what the hell they're even talking about. So it's it's trying to give parents the right to say, no, you can't teach this stuff in class. not saying you can't say gay. We're just saying we don't want this stuff taught to our kids that don't comprehend that stuff. They're not adults. So we'll go over that a little bit, too, and kind of talk about that a little bit. So we'll be right back. All right, here we are. So this is a Tucker Carlson bit he had. um, I don't know when it was from here. Uh, A day ago. Yeah, there you go. Because of our lovely Governor Cox, uh, some of the representatives we've got these days, him and Romney. But I understand it because, like I've said in past episodes, your big cities tend to be liberal Democrat, and it's just kind of the hive mentality when you got that kind of high density population. I think it just it's just kind of one of those things that happens. <laughs> Not every big large city is, but most. Most large cities and whatever the state's red, you look at the voting patterns, uh the big cities are going to be blue. Almost all the way across the board. So anyways, uh this one's about a little over 11 minutes here of Tucker Carlson talking about <laughs> Utah and different things, uh especially what's going on with like the the pronoun stuff so anyways here we go
3: good evening and welcome to tucker carlson tonight when you think of american states that have fallen right off the ledge into the deep end of vacuous lifestyle liberalism and we do think of that from time to time you probably think of vermont vermont's a place that banned fracking despite the fact it has not a single oil or gas well in the state or maybe you think of massachusetts where virtually all human pleasure has been banned for decades, if not centuries. And of course, you think of California. California, a place where one city is now paying people to be transgender. All of these are famously liberal places, so you're not surprised. But Utah is not a liberal place. When you think of Utah, you imagine big happy families, an even bigger salty lake, and a couple of very good ski mountains. You think conservatism because Utah is conservative. It always has been, it still is. Utah has the highest rate of church attendance in the country. It has one of the lowest crime rates. The birth rate of Utah families is fully 25% higher than the national average. In the last presidential election, Donald Trump took nearly 60% of the vote in Utah. So Utah is definitely not California. And yet, some of its most prominent politicians would very much like to change that. If you don't believe it, watch them talk sometime. They sound like they're running for city council in Santa Monica. That doesn't make sense. Talk about a misalignment. A highly conservative state with extremely liberal leaders. How did that happen? Actually, it's not as unusual as you'd hope it would be. Across the country, some of the most liberal Republicans represent some of the reddest states. Why? Well, maybe it's the result of corporate influence and corrupt party leadership. That's true. Maybe voters in those states don't feel threatened, so they're not paying close attention to who they vote for. Whatever it is, it's very obvious. By contrast, the most energetically conservative governor in the country is not from Alabama. He's from Florida, which to this day is split almost evenly along party lines. So Ron DeSantis has to earn every vote, and he does that by representing his constituents. It tells you a lot. Meanwhile, bright red Utah is now led by a cut-rate Gavin Newsom imitator called Spencer Cox, Spencer Cox is a former telecom executive who always seems like he's auditioning for the title of America's Guiltiest White Guy. He's beyond belief. Watch this virtual town hall with high school students last year in which Spencer Cox announces his preferred pronouns to a young girl in the audience. Well, I thank you so much, uh, Gabby, for that
1: that question. Um, And uh, my preferred pronouns are he, him, and his. Uh, so, So thank you for sharing yours with me.
0: No, oh, I guess we got to listen to commercial ads from YouTube. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm cut rate professional here. <laughs> Ooh, what a creepy
3: guy. My preferred pronouns are he, him, his, Cox tells a room full of children. So we've got that cleared up. Spencer Cox identifies as a male, at least to some limited extent. Now, Fox could have cleared up that mystery a lot more quickly simply by declaring, I'm a man. Instead, he went full hostage video. My preferred pronouns are he, him, is. Just in case you had any doubt that neoliberal interest groups control Spencer Cox's brain, now you know for certain. Because it's never about gender, it's always about obedience. Spencer Cox is obedient, if nothing else, but not obedient to his voters, that's the weird thing. What exactly is the market for superfluous pronouns in Utah? Pretty limited, you would think. Most people in Utah don't need to be told Yet somehow, Spencer Cox is their governor. In a piece today, a really good piece, Nate Hockman of National Review reports that the very first document Cox signed as governor of Utah was something called the Utah Compact on Racial Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And it's everything you'd imagine and more. The document describes racism as, quote, more than just an individual character flaw. No, racism instead is a system that you participate in, Mr. and Mrs. Racist, a system that can only be stopped with quote bold anti-racist actions and policies right now Ooh, you know you're in trouble mr and mrs utah voter what are these policies we'll let spencer cox explain here is spencer cox wearing his little obedience mask during a zoom interview explaining that he supports excluding white students from an academic scholarship program purely because of their skin color because That's anti-racism. No, it's not racism. It's anti-racism. The Utah Jazz is excluding white children from consideration for their scholarship
4: program. Do you think this is racist? And what will you do to
1: prevent the Utah Jazz from acting in this racist manner? Well, I I don't think it's racist. In fact, I I think it's in response to, unfortunately, some very difficult and and racist injustices that have happened
3: in our community for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So here's this moist little guy sitting alone in his gilded room with a mask on telling us it's not racist to exclude people from a scholarship based on their race. Does anyone else in Utah believe this? We'd like to meet them. There can't be many of them. Most people in Utah have more sense than that. Racism is when you hurt people based on their skin color, right? Right. And most people in Utah, by the way, still believe in biology, also gravity and photosynthesis. The state of Utah is pro-science. And we know this because Utah state legislature just passed a bill banning men from competing in women's sports because men, it turns out, are not women. But Spencer Cox disagrees. He vetoed that bill. Fortunately, two-thirds of the legislature overrode Spencer Cox's veto and finally got the bill passed this has been going on for a long time in the state of Utah. Spencer Cox previously threatened to veto a proposed ban on gender transition surgeries for minors, which once again, most people in Utah say they don't want. So here you have a perfectly normal state filled with perfectly happy, normal people somehow run by a low IQ weakened MSNBC anchor. That doesn't seem fair to the state of Utah, but it's not just Spencer Cox. Utah's junior senator Mitt Romney has also decided he's tired of representing the people of Utah. So instead, he's speaking for his neighbors in the state of California, where he lives a lot of the time. Less than a year ago, this is an amazing example, it was just June of 2021, Mitt Romney voted against the nomination of Kentaji Brown Jackson to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay, he thought she wasn't qualified. Now, this week, Mitt Romney announced that he is supporting the same person's confirmation to the Supreme Court. Huh? She was unqualified for a lower court but a perfect choice for the supreme court how does that work here's Mitt romney to explain in the
4: uh, prior confirmation uh, i was concerned that she was outside the mainstream uh, and as a result of our meeting for an hour together and reviewing her uh, testimony before congress i became convinced that she's within the mainstream she's also highly qualified intelligent capable person and i uh, wish her the very best <laughs>
3: Oh, so she's now in the mainstream. She wasn't less than a year ago, but now she's fully in the mainstream. So here's what it took for Mitt Romney to finally support Kentanji Brown Jackson. He learned in the course of Supreme Court confirmation hearings that she gave lenient sentences to child pornographers. Mitt Romney apparently didn't know that last year, hence the vote against her. Now that he knows that Kentanji Brown Jackson has disregarded sentencing guidelines to benefit kiddie pornographers, It's a yes from Mitt Romney. That's the junior senator from the state of Utah. And as with Spencer Cox, this is not a one-time aberration. Reporter Greg Price summarized Mitt Romney's past few weeks this way, quote, confirmed Ketaji Brown-Jackson, voted against repealing TSA mask mandate, didn't show up to vote defunding Biden vaccine mandate, accuses Tulsi Gabbard of treason for opposing the war in Ukraine. Amazing! So, Tulsi Gabbard has betrayed her country in uniform, by the way. She's still serving in the U.S. Army. But BLM, BLM, which torched American cities for nearly a year, they're not treasonous, not according to Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, of course, did take to the streets
4: there. And uh, the first Republican to join thousands of people that were protesting George Floyd's death, the Utah Senator marched with a group of evangelical Christians and shared the photo of himself on Twitter, and Romney told the reporter that he was participating in those protests because he wanted to make sure that people understood uh, that Black Lives Matter. We need a voice against racism. We need many voices against racism and against brutality. We need to stand up and say that Black Lives Matter.
3: Oh, yeah. Mitt Romney took to the streets! (laughs) Probably the greatest line ever uttered on cable news. And like all the great lines, nobody laughed. Mitt Romney took to the streets to watch BLM burn down cities, shoot people and defraud donors to buy $6 million mansions in L.A. Oh, but guess who the traitor is? It's Tulsi Gabbard. That's what Mitt Romney's telling us. And Tulsi Gabbard is a lot worse than Tony Fauci, who funded the production of a virus in China that killed millions of people. Is that treasonous? No, that's not treasonous, not according to Mitt Romney. Watch.
4: I do want to point out uh, how much uh, I personally, and I believe the great majority of the people in our country, respect you individually and professionally for the work that you do. You are scientists, not politicians. Uh, nevertheless, you are uh, being made subject to the uh, the political whims uh, of, of uh, various political individuals. And, uh, and that comes at a high cost, which unfortunately I, I fear will lead uh, some to not want to participate uh, in in helping our government make scientific choices.
3: (laughs) That's what Mitt Romney learned. Back from the streets. (laughs) So the concern here, of course, is democracy. And that's a word on the lips of every concerned person on television. What about our democracy? Every day you hear that. So just a quick civics recap. Democracy is a form of government in which elected representatives represent the people who elect them. They do what they ask the people rule. So with that in mind, and given our strong commitment to democracy, you have to wonder where Mitt Romney's coming from. Is he participating in the system called democracy? Because the majority of Republicans, people who put him in office, would like Tony Fauci to leave his job immediately. But not Mitt Romney. He doesn't care at all. Mitt Romney is not alone, of course, neither Spencer Cox. It turns out a lot of Republicans in red states serially Betray their voters, give them the finger day after day after day. The question is, how long will Republican voters put up with this? Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube Uh, channel to catch our nightly
0: opens stories that are a little YouTube thing that Tucker Carlson did about Utah. I found it quite fascinating, and he's not wrong. Mitt Romney is a piece of trash, and I don't know how in the hell Utahs were so blindsided by him, other than supposedly he's a Mormon. I don't know why that would qualify somebody for a political office, but uh, apparently here in the state of Utah, it doesn't seem to matter. And I think mostly that we're docile in this state for the most part. (laughs) It's like, especially like with Governor Cox, Um, these supposed Republicans are more or less rhinos, which is R-I-N-O, Republican in name only. Because they don't really represent, I don't feel, uh, you know, maybe I'm I'm not in the mainstream Republican area because I'm not. I'm more of an independent. I like to look down the middle and look for the best ideas from either side, which is where we need to try and get back to. But instead, we're just going farther left, farther right. Uh, And the names anymore don't seem to really matter. If it's an R or a D, they all are in the same club. And it's the club of DC and connected and the elites in their own minds. And they say it out loud anymore. They don't even care. Uh, so the biggest thing here to take away from this is, um, is a fight for our youth. So how are they, how are they going to grow up to be a functioning member of society when they're being molded in such a way that they have no chance. Um there is seriously something going on with the mental health in this country and it's something that politicians always want to come out and make a big deal about. Oh yeah, we need to we need to look into the the mental health, you know, industry and you know do more for mental health and then guess what? Nothing ever happens. Never happens. Nothing changes. Uh, even what voters are are pushing towards most of the time in most of these states. Um, these people in power just feel like, oh, I'm going to just do what I want to do anyways. You know, luckily here in Utah, we still have a constitutionalist. Um, and he's actually up for re-election this year. So... With that, if you live here in the state of Utah, make sure you are paying attention to the what's going on with our politics. And I know I've said it many times before, politics ruin everything, and, and it's true still to this day. But if we're not paying attention to what's going on, um, this guy could possibly get voted out. And I like him because, for the most part, he is a constitutionalist. Which, if we could get most of our politicians to get back to, then we could actually, I think, have a functioning government of a constitutional, democratic-represented republic. And his name uh, is Mike Lee. And I really wish I could uh, get him on here to answer, you know, at least talk about a couple questions. Cause just like it's, it has been a thing for a while now. People have wanted term limits. But of course, I think like I've probably said before. So, uh, sorry if I repeat myself over and over again sometimes. Cause like I said, it all, it's all kind of a big piece of the puzzle. Once you start putting it together, it all blends in. Um, but anyways, uh, I would like him to try and address the term limits thing. And like I said, these guys aren't going to vote themselves out of a job, no matter how much they want to get in front of a camera and tell you, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I support that, I support that. When it comes right down to it, they don't vote for it. I mean, if a few of them will, and that's the game they play nowadays, is uh, if they know there's not enough votes to get it to pass, they'll vote against something or vote vice versa. So just like, uh, I don't even know if anybody even knows who this Ketanji Jackson is, she's uh, replacing a Supreme Court justice who's retiring. And he, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was on the liberal side of the thing, of the, you know, the split of what they want to call the conservative or the, the liberal side of the Supreme Court justices. And the thing I think that they're trying to do with, at least this is what it seems like, because they, they throw a big fit every time and you've seen it really big time you know with news media and whatever with brett Kavanaugh and what happened to him and all the accusations i mean all of a sudden out of nowhere this uh blasey ford lady comes out accusing him of raping her back in high school and at some you know party or whatever the hell it was you know i'm basically trying to get this guy not confirmed luckily uh you know i mean i don't know i mean some of the things that these so-called conservative judges vote on in the first place, you know, when it actually comes down to doing a conservative thing, they don't really follow through real well. So I don't know what really those labels even matter anymore. Um, but they, uh, yeah, this Katanji Jackson was, you know, interviewed. Uh, I don't remember the lady's name. So there's one, one of the Republican senator asked her if she could define what a woman is. And her response was, I, I cannot. Because I'm not a biologist. And then all the memes started coming out left and right. It was actually quite funny. But, I mean, she's just doing her job as far as trying to play the political game. Because she doesn't want to piss off people on the left that are her supporters, essentially. You know, like this Mitt Romney, you know, that claims to be a Republican. And like I said, when it's his term, if somebody doesn't freaking take him out of office... Uh, and Utahs vote him back in again if he runs for reelection. Uh, I mean, I, I almost feel realistically that our country's probably about shot, anyways, and it's going to take a major, and I guess in a more of a middle ground re- reset, as <laughs> resetting the government and all that stuff, which, you know, here in this lovely paper I have here, the Declaration of Independence. Um, it states right here, right in the first, uh, actually, I'm just going to read it to you because it's something that, uh, I don't think anybody ever, nobody ever looks at this stuff anymore. I have no idea what's even in the declaration of independence or even, you know, you hear all the talking points on our, you know, civil liberties, but have no idea what the amendments of the constitution even are. I mean, I, I can't, I don't remember them, but that's why I keep this around so I can, you know, look them up and read what the actual text says. But, you know, the Declaration of 13 United States of America, you know, about middle and down. Uh, So let's just see. We hold these truths to be self-evident, the line that uh, Joe Biden can't seem to remember. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then a little farther down it says, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. Now, everybody knows this was written back in the early 1700s, or well, I guess late 1700s. Um, but the way they laid the foundation of this out for our nation still still can be applied today. And you know, you get a lot of people it needs to be a, you know, it needs to adapt to current times. It's like, no, it doesn't really because it's called principles. So the principles of our Constitution are what laid the foundations and are still applicable today, even though, you know, it doesn't fit narratives and things that, you know, these uh, elites would like to get through. Um, So that's kind of what you see with like politicians these days. They want to pull the Constitution out when it benefits what they're trying to push. But other than that, they don't really care about it. (laughs) Like I said, that's why I like Mike Lee. I mean, yeah, he's not perfect. Obviously, he's human. But Mitt Romney and Governor Cox are horrible. And right now, why, why DeSantis is so popular in the news is because he is actually being a governor and responding to his constituents. So he you know Disney is a really oh, uh, I don't know what you'd want to call them they they were i would say a really unique you know idea i mean Walt Disney you know had this vision and he knew how to get things done, and he he knew how to i mean he was realistically. A great politician, even though he wasn't a politician, you know, but he had this dream about this fantasy world basically that he wanted to bring to life and entertain people with it, which has been great for a long time. But now the in the era of wokeism, and you know, you start getting the the Marxist ideological people into these powers of CEOs and stuff of all these corporations and whatever. That's when you start getting like all these stupid things on transgenderism. Um, and I'm not going to dive into that too deep because that would take like a whole episode all in itself to explain my my position on that stuff. Um, but anyways, so they're, they're trying to come out and say that this bill that DeSantis... Put out, which is the parents' rights, uh, something of the other. Geez, I don't remember what it's called now. Now that I'm thinking about it, Uh, Florida Bill. Let me see here. Bill on parents' rights. Hard to be the producer and the person that's talking to you at the same time. (laughs) Uh, That's what you get with a redneck podcast like mine. Um, So it was uh, HB 1557, Parental Rights in Education. So now what happened with that is somebody, I don't even know where it came out from where it was said that it don't say gay bill. There's like a bunch of people on Twitter and stuff said, oh, DeSantis is coming out with the don't say gay bill. And then like in perfect leftist fashion nobody goes and reads the bill they just parrot the exact same thing that these people started and that's exactly what happens in the news media they all start saying the same thing ronda sentences don't say gay bill and if you read the bill it says nothing about gay anywhere in it it just basically says that parents have the right to uh for you not to be teaching their kids about LGBTQ plus two seven whatever whatever it is now because it changes weekly um, that they don't want their kids being taught that stuff so it's given them the parental rights in education just like the bill is actually called and not the don't say gay bill <laughs> um, so anyways I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this uh, I got to take a break here it's gonna cut me off mid sentence. Uh we'll be right back and we're gonna go over what the bill actually says. And you know, this is this episode is mostly I wanted to be talking about protecting our kids. Um, and you know, kind of the differences in what these people are thinking and what everybody else should be thinking and why you should be engaged in what's being taught, at least a little bit, understand what's being taught in your schools to your kids. So you have as a parent. You know, not the whole Hillary Clinton. Oh, it takes a community to raise a child. No, it doesn't. It takes a family. And that's what they don't like. They don't want a nuclear family. And they've been trying to tear that down for for decades. Um, And to think for themselves, that's the whole, the left wants a hive mentality. No, this is how you should think. And stay in this lane. You deviate from that and we're going to punish you. Where I think more to the right, they're like, no, think for yourself. So no, so this is the problem. What do you think about it? And how do you how do you come up to your conclusion? You no, know, think about it and come to your own conclusion. Instead of me telling you what you should be thinking. That's the different, the biggest difference between the right and the left right now. Um but anyways, getting close to my time. Let's let's take a quick break here, be right back. <music> All right, so this uh, is a shorter clip. It's just under three minutes. Um, I'm going to play it and then kind of talk about it, I guess. Here we go.
3: A controversial bill in Florida could be on Governor Ron DeSantis' desk as early as tomorrow. Right now, state senators are debating what critics call the don't say gay bill but tomorrow they're scheduled to vote on it according to the legislation classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students unquote protesters rallied outside the state capitol in tallahassee today to make their final push against the bill Here's CNBC's Valerie Castro.
5: Outside the Florida State Capitol, a rally against the proposed legislation, but inside the chambers, an ongoing debate on the Senate floor. This bill is not intended to out gay children. This bill is intended to strengthen the family unit.
3: Treating conversations about them or their lifestyle like something dangerous that should be banned or even not discussed. Is deeply prejudicial and sends a terrible message to young people.
5: Those who have backed the bill say the intent is to protect families and children, especially the youngest students.
1: If you read the bill, it's protecting parents' rights, and we're talking about
3: kids in kindergarten through third grade. They shouldn't be talking about those topics. That's all it is.
1: Governor DeSantis
5: is expected to sign the legislation.
3: And we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum.
5: But GLAD, a national LGBTQ advocacy group, says passing the bill is dangerous territory. I think if this passes in Florida, it sets a precedent for the rest of the country um, that we are becoming the land of the less free. But what happens is is that these politicians find ways to create political discord and to divide communities, and they're using our schoolrooms and our classrooms to do that now. And some Florida students say, "What happens next is what they fear the most." It would be super isolating, and I feel like it, it also contributes to the stigma that there's something wrong um, with the child's parents or who the child identifies as. But I think it would just make a lot of kids feel very alone if they couldn't talk about it with their peers and with trusted adults. At the federal level, President Biden and his State of the Union called for the Equality Act to be passed to prohibit discrimination based on sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Shep, that is still currently stalled in the Senate.
4: Shepard
0: Smith here. thanks for watching see CN- it all right the CNN crap Shep Smith's the guy that used to work for Fox News um, so let's kind of break that down now so that that's the CNN version of it um so these people are trying to say that it's going to now now this is what they are told to think now you gotta you gotta look at it in that context because, If you was to think for yourself, like I'm doing right now, and basically understanding what this bill says, it says nothing about they can't, like a kid has some confusion or feels like they're this or that or gay, lesbian, you know, the whole whatever they want to think they are, which is a whole destructive mindset in its own, but to let say that this means that they can't go and talk to their peers about how they're feeling has nothing to do with this bill. And that's the danger of this hive mentality because they're told what to think and not how to think. So if you're going to say that, oh, this is don't say gay bill, so now we're going to protest and say we say gay. Is that not like the stupidest thing you've ever heard? It makes no sense. Like I say, I don't care. I've, I've always said this. I don't care what you want to do in your private life and whatever. If you feel isolated, I, I would suggest going and talking to a psychiatrist or something to deal with your problems. But if my kid is in, I mean, I would say up to, even through sixth grade, because sixth grade is typically where, at least here in Utah, they teach the maturation stuff, because up until that age, uh, right before kids hit puberty, they don't understand this stuff. You can talk to them all you want, but all you're doing is indoctrinating them about, oh, well, you think you want to put a dress on today because, you know, your older sister, you know, plays with dolls and stuff, so the younger brother wants to do the same thing too. They want to be included. And I think that's what kind of a lot of this is, is these kids want to be included in something. So this seems to be the, the big hype right now, so they all want to be included. Whether or not they really actually feel that way, um, I don't think so. I think it's one of those things they kind of go through. I mean, if later on in life they still feel that way, then that's a different situation. So if you're looking at this situationally, I don't want a teacher teaching my kid that they should be a boy or a girl or non-binary or whatever else because their their minds are still developing they don't understand this stuff and it should not be taught to them it shouldn't be taught that this is how they should think that's the leftist mindset that no we we the educators need to teach your kids how to think or what to think, not how to think. Let me get that straight. They want to... Not all of them. They, like I say, these are the crazies that are all there protesting or whatever. Ooh, hundreds hundred showed up in the whole state of Florida to protest this. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much not the majority. It's these little small fringe groups that are being told what to think and what to say that show up to these things. Okay, I'm, I'm going to dive into this a little bit, and I I don't know if I've actually clarified this before, because there are, uh, I would say, like, adult lesbians understand that they're a woman that happens to like other women more than men, which in a lot of cases I don't blame them. No, but anyways, <laughs> uh, or vice versa. Gay men that are adults and can think for themselves, hopefully at that point in their life, but still have these feelings, you know, for whatever reason, then, okay, then you can love another man. And if that man's mutual with it, then that's your business. I don't care. I don't want you teaching my kid that that's how they should be. They're going to figure that out as they grow older on what they they really are. And not to really say that the normal human structure, which I guess, in in my opinion... Uh, So don't take this as you want, I guess. That, in my opinion, normal means that it takes a male and a female to procreate another human being. That's how I would define normal. Now, you can still have a normal life as far as if you're in one of these other groups. But to be the loudest squeaky will saying, no, you guys all have to think like we do or anything you do is bigoted and discriminatory and blah, 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 and all this nonsense crap because this is what they're being told that they have to do. But if this bill passes, they, they won't be able to talk about it. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. So let's. Uh, I just pulled up what the bill here actually says. The parents' rights in education, the general bill. Okay, that just says who uh, is you know behind the bill. Uh, parental rights in education requires district school boards to adopt procedures that comport with certain provisions of law for notifying students' parents of specific, uh, of spe- specified information. Requires such procedures to reinforce fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding upbringing and control of their children. Prohibits school districts from adopting procedures or student support forms that prohibit school district personnel from notifying parent about specified information or that encourage student to withhold from parents such information prohibits school district personnel from discouraging or prohibiting parental notification and involvement in critical decisions affecting students' mental, emotional, or physical well-being so this goes either direction prohibits classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in certain grade levels requires school districts to notify parents of healthcare services authorizes parent to bring action against school district to obtain declaratory judgment provides for additional award of injunctive relief damages and reasonable attorney fees and court costs to certain parents. Uh, So did I, did I hear anything in that anywhere that says don't say gay? So any of these leftists that are saying, it's the don't say gay bill are complete morons and useful idiots. And if you've understood what a useful idiot is, I don't think I need to explain that again to you. So that is actually right here from the myfloridahouse.gov. The bill, what it states. So then if you want to go back into what all the freaking Democrats in there, you know, because this is how it's kind of turned out. It's basically... If you're on the Democrat side, you have to think this way and you have to say these certain things. Otherwise, you're not you're not somehow protecting the rights of these people. I don't I don't know what rights these people don't have. That's that's what's confusing to me. What rights do they not have by this bill passing that they it, did it say anywhere in there that they can't go talk to a teacher because they're feeling in a certain way? That's what I mean. Like, So if you heard the chants and stuff and the things that these people are saying is they're being told what to say. They haven't gone in and read this bill. They don't understand what this bill is doing. It's given the parents that, you know, the two came together, created a human being. And now, unfortunately, they're in the public school system being taught nonsense. Not stuff that's going to help them out in life not, you know, what our government is doing to screw us over on a daily basis, uh, with the money system and how all that works. And basically the destruction of what we know as capitalism in this country and around the world. And they just, they don't understand that stuff. And a lot of it's just due to the failure of our education system. And like I said, this isn't, this isn't, uh, a teardown of all teachers because there are a lot of good ones still out there. But like Yuri Bezmenov says, that starts out in college, the colleges, these liberal Marxist teachers or professors that are teaching teachers to teach certain things. So like I say, the longer that keeps going, the bigger that virus gets. And that's exactly what it is. It's just growing and growing and it's infecting more and more people. Unfortunately, but that's where it's starting is in the education system in general. And you start getting people like these people that are saying, we say gay, because they don't even have any freaking clue of what the bill even says. But they're useful idiots because they've never been taught to think for themselves. And with that, (laughs) Governor DeSantis, because the whole thing that happened with Disney and them coming out and pushing back against it because, you know, they have people of the alphabet soup community that work at Disney uh, and Disney world, I guess, in Florida have bullied the company. Well, actually they didn't really bully the company because there's a lot of these people that think the same way that are on the board of Disney. And so they also, you know, have to make their presence known and, Oh, we're going to this or that, you know, and we stand with these, this community and it's like, okay, well then you know what, we're going to take your special privileges away because from what I've understood that, uh, back when Walt Disney built or got permission to build Walt Disney world, um, he was able to work out a deal, I guess, with the, the governor of the state of the time um to kind of self-rule themselves as kind of almost like their own little country. I mean, they basically have their own building inspectors and yada yada uh, so them pushing back against this bill to give parents the right to, you know say no, I don't want this crap taught to my kid. they're still a developing child uh, and don't understand this stuff and have, legal rights and ramifications against them just saying, no, we're going to teach your kid anyways. Well, this bill would give the parents rights to sue the school or the teacher or whatever the case may be and recover any of the costs as far as lawyers and all that stuff go to, you know, say, no, I don't want my kid to learn this stuff. Later on, when they can understand sexuality and all that fun stuff, then they can decide for themselves as an adult. But teach them how to think first before you just turn them into activists. And that's the problem with a lot of our school systems is they're teaching kids to be activists. They're not teaching them how to to learn. I mean, even as dumb as I am, I know 2 plus 2 is 7. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's Common Core math, which is another disaster that was uh, put onto our children. Uh, Hopefully, most places have gotten rid of that again now, but it was tied to a bunch of government money that even our old governor decided, oh, yeah, we got to implement this stuff. And, you know, it's the strings that are tied to this federal money for our school systems. And it's like we need to get out of that mentality of taking this federal money with strings attached to it that we have to implement these different garbage teaching regulations and that's how I kind of look at it they're just regulations that oh if, if you want to use this money or get this money you have to implement common core and that's what happened to the state of utah and i mean they they even went about for a long time trying to defend it but they didn't they didn't even understand what it was and if you're a parent here in utah and have had that going on uh, I like to say hopefully they've finally gotten rid of it out of the education system because it, it makes absolutely no sense. And to teach the little kids the especially the common core math, and then now if you're grown up and you have to do algebra and different things like that, I don't know how how they gonna how they're gonna figure it out. Because it doesn't it doesn't jive into higher learning of math. But anyways, um, here's an article from uh, KTLA 5 Morning News, I guess is what it is. Um, It says, Governor Ron DeSantis floated the idea Thursday of changing Florida law to revoke the Walt Disney Company's right to self-rule in the Reedy Creek Improvement District, the Florida-based seat of the Magic Kingdom. In the days since DeSantis signed the Parental Rights and Education Bill into law, which opponents call the Don't say gay, Bill. Uh, Opposition to the legislation by Disney has provoked talk of using state legislation to take away the company's ability to self-govern its lands. Disney first got the right of legal self-control in 1967 with passage of the Reedy Creek Improvement Act. According to the historical documents for the Reedy Creek Improvement District, then-Florida Governor Cloud Kirk signed the RCID Act into law in May of 1967, creating two municipalities, Bay Lake and Reddy Creek, which was later renamed Lake Buena Vista. The location, nestled between Orange and Osceola counties, would later become the site where Walt Disney World was built. The RCID charter created 25,000 acres of land as a special taxing district. At the time, it was considered remote and uninhabitable, but now is the site of one of the busiest theme parks in the United States. To make Disney's plan happen there, you had to get special privileges from the state of Florida to essentially run itself. Uh, So like I said, it's kind of its own mini little country. In 1967, the Florida State Legislature, working with Walt Disney World Company, created a special taxing district called the Reedy Creek Improvement District that would act with the same authority and responsibility as a county government. Um, enter an era of the Magic Kingdom, living a life of self-determination and self-rule. Now, following the company company's public opposition to HB fifteen fifty seven, DeSantis and other state lawmakers have said they're considering revoking that charter through a repeal of the RCIa, potentially ending Disney's right to rule in Central Florida. State Representative Spencer Roach. Republican of Fort Myers tweeted on March 30th that he met with colleagues for a second time to discuss repeal of the decades-old law. In Ponte Vedra Beach, uh, on Thursday, DeSantis said he wanted to repeal it but not just over the current political fight and not just the privilege that Disney currently enjoys. The governor's words are reminiscent of the state's 2021 big tech censorship crackdown in which a law was passed to allow lawsuits against companies like Facebook and Twitter over banning political candidates and equating it to a fight over free speech. In his speech in Ponte Verde, oh, Vedra, Ponte Verde, Vedra Beach, Uh, And I probably slaughtered that one. DeSantis said the point was to take away the power of the woke corporations from interfering in Florida politics. I would not say that would be retaliatory. The way I view it is there are certain entities that have exerted a lot of influence through corporate means to generate special privileges in the law. I don't think we should have special privileges in the law at all, DeSantis said. Some of these things have developed over the years. I had to deal with this last year when we passed a law last year to protect Floridians from big tech censorship. The idea was to let them be able to sue under the Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act, protect political candidates from being deplatformed, stuff that was good. And it's being litigated in the court, which we knew it would. But at the 11th hour, the legislature slips in provision in that law that said if you operate a theme park, it doesn't apply to you. And that was meant solely to protect Disney. DeSantis said when the provision was added, he had decided whether or he had to decide whether to veto the bill and throw the baby out with the bathwater or allow it to become law as is with the protection for theme parks. To be clear, Disney is not the only theme park in Florida. Universal Studios, SeaWorld, Legoland, Bush Gardens and Discovery Cove are all in the state, to name a few, um, which also they don't those companies don't have the protections that Walt Disney worked out with the former governor back in the sixties for his theme park. Um, And as far as self uh, governing, what that kind of means is they have their own uh, building inspector type deal. They, they manage their own waste and all that stuff internally. Um, It's not regulated by anybody outside of Disney. Um, And as far as also them having uh, so employees can have their kids go to school at a school inside the park, essentially, so they can bring their kids to school, go work, and the kid gets educated by Disney. <laughs> uh, but a lot of these so-called, you know, the alphabet suit people are saying that they teach some of these kids, you know, and they they talk about their sexuality and all this thing and they were just so hurt that they couldn't they didn't feel that they could talk about it anymore to anybody and it's like okay you people have got some serious mental problems because there are functioning people in those communities but are i think they're the smaller group of them that are normal but have those feelings and they're not out there trying to push their beliefs on everybody else. And this goes as far as from the right too. we shouldn't be pushing our beliefs on to other people any more than they should be pushing them back on us. So I can go. that's a two-way street. Um, if somebody wants to ask about it and know about stuff like that, then okay, fine. You guys have that discussion. But as far as this bill goes, it's basically just saying, look, parents have the right to not want this stuff taught to their kids. I don't see where there's a problem with that. But in the political climate, of everything's got to be political these days. Um, these people have got to add their two cents plus 20 into everything that happens, especially if it comes from a conservative or a Republican. So, with that, <laughs> uh, get engaged with your kids at least enough to know what's going on In their schools, I mean, most of the time, all it takes is asking them. You know, these these teachers that are activists now that are in the system are so hell bent on pushing their propaganda onto these kids that when stuff like this happens, they go nuts. They can't handle that. These, you know, they can't teach their propaganda to kids. Um, I could I could find some other clips of some protesters. I mean, completely, you know, they're coming up to, you know, up to a podium. I don't even know who they were even talking to, but uh, I'm assuming legislatures, you know, and making making their voice heard, which is fine, but they are literally having a mental breakdown uh about the air quotes here, the don't say gay bill. That says nothing about you can't say gay. They are just the people that don't want to think for themselves and are being told what to say and how to feel and all the other good stuff in between. And I think a lot of the stuff that we're seeing with kids these days, uh, all the way up through, you know, the junior high, high school, especially, I think, um, it's a fad more than anything. I don't know if a lot of them really feel that way. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe I'm completely out of touch with this. But it seems to me like it's more of a fad on being accepted into this group, you know, and getting attention and and whatever else. Because the normal the normal people in those groups, they don't want to go out and have the, the all this attention. They want to just live their life like they always have. You know, they go to work like every normal person does. Uh, they come home to their whoever they love, and everything's all good. But then you've got these people. In that claim they're in that group uh, trying to I don't know, I guess they're the extremists and they're the ones that really got to have the attention and they're going to get these laws passed and they're going to call it every dirty trick in the book to try and get other people to bend the knee and give in to their will that, oh, you're just being a, a bigot and being totally discriminatory against the Whatever LGBT two plus whatever, and it's just not correct. It's not factually correct, and I mean I, uh, I could go on and on about the transgender movement too, because I mean we're seeing a lot of that too going into the schools with women's sports. Another, uh, like I say, they've tried to de-feminize women. You know, they got these feminist groups that are basically now neutering their own cause, <laughs> pun intended. Um, so, you know, you've probably heard the other one about the the trans swimmer. You know, he's crushing all these, was a man, was like ranked way far down the list in the 400 and something in the men's category. All of a sudden decided he's a, a woman, starts competing in the women's swim team and is crushing every woman's swim record there ever was. But well, we just got to accept that because, you know, he that's how he feels now. You see it in prisons, in the military. Uh, this, this woke ideology has to be accepted. I don't buy into that. I feel like I'm a pretty reasonable person. And like I've said, I think for myself, like if you're listening to this, probably you do that yourself, no matter what your orientation is or skin color. Or whatever else. If you think for yourself, you you get it. And unfortunately, politics ruins everything, and gets injected into this ideology. And that basically all it does is we bend all this stuff. We give up our rights because there's no rights that these people don't already have. That for some reason they claim. You know these bills take away their rights. But like I say. Most of these wackos are just, they've got, I don't know, whatever issues in their lives going on, uh, but I think they just need actual mental health, some kind of reckoning there. I don't know what it is. But anyways, uh, I'm going to kind of push past this now, and we're going to get on to some other problems going on around the world and here in the United States as well so i'm gonna take another quick break real quick coming up on our 30 minutes uh i need to find a different app to do this and then i could just download it all in one big episode but i don't know it's kind of nice to take a break too every now and then well you can take a break too and i'll have to listen to me (laughs) in a constant ramble so anyways we'll be right back All right, before I get too far down the road here, uh, I did find one more interesting article here. It kind of goes about the transgenderism and stuff like that. Uh, This is from the Epic Times, March 22nd of this year. Online influencers spread, oh, spreading transgenderism to thousands of young Americans, experts say. The article goes on, air quotes, epidemics of the mind may be more challenging than ever to stop in an online world, experts say. Most mental illnesses are individual problems, but others are contagious, according to Australian psychologist Diana Kenney. These forms of self-destruction tend to spread by personal contact or by the distribution of information. Quote, these things just take off. Just one little aberration in the environment can start a terrible snowballing effect. Unquote, she said. Although mental illness epidemics are bizarre, they're not uncommon across history, Kenny said. In medieval Europe, outbreaks of the dancing plague struck where people suddenly started dancing uncontrollably. The Salem witch hunts were another psychic epidemic. In the 1980s, American daycare centers nationwide faced completely unfounded accusations of satanic child abuse. Epidemics like these aren't caused by anything physical, Kenny said, but they still damage people and communities. Today, the transgender movement resembles these psychic epidemics, she said. But unlike past uh, psychic epidemics, the Internet has allowed the transgender movement to spread globally. The consequences will likely prove devastating for the next generation of teenagers, she said. Identity crisis. Widespread rapid-onset transgenderism is a new phenomenon, Kenny said. For most of history, feelings of being the wrong gender were found in a tiny fraction of people and didn't start suddenly. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders estimates that it occurs in 1 in 10,000 boys and in 1 in 27,000 girls. And now the incidence is hundreds of times greater than standard wisdom about prevalence, she said. According to statistics from the National Library of Medicine, these figures vary between times and places. In 1968, a study that counted sex change requests estimated that 1 in 100,000 Americans identified as transgender. In several European countries in the 1980s, similar studies found that between 1 in 10,000 and 1 in 250,000 people identified as transgender. Some groups dispute the accuracy of these surveys, of course. Uh, according to TransHub, a pro-transgenderism website, prejudiced against people who identify as transgender meant fewer people publicly identified as transgender. Chances are that this number isn't actually any higher than before, but that today more people feel able to count themselves into this category than ever before, the website states. However, it's impossible to deny the rapid rise in reported transgenderism. Since 2009, the incidence of Transgenderism appears to have skyrocketed in the United States, growing by leaps and bounds. Research by journalist Abigail Schreier suggests that the rate of transgenderism has risen by about a thousand percent. It has gone from a phenomenon that even psychological specialists saw rarely to an issue so common that over half of Americans now personally know someone who identifies as transgender or gender-neutral. Government studies estimate that between 115,000 and 450,000 Americans identified as transgender in 2009. Uh, Okay, then that tells me that if that's true, if that's a a good statistic, uh, that, yeah, it seems to be more that it's a fad than an actual condition. Either that or we've got a lot of really mentally uh, incapacitated people. Um, Anyways, but in 2022, about 1.4 million Americans did. All those statistics about the number of people who identified as transgender even 20 years ago are hard to find. Their rise to prominence has been meteoric. Before the 1990s, even the word transgender wasn't in common use. Nowhere is this change more dramatic than among young people, according to Kenny. Uh, Gender dysphoria is 300 times more common among teens than it is among adults. Young American women seem far more likely to become transgender now than in the past, according to a study from the National Library of Medicine. All these qualities are classic signs of a psychic epidemic or mass hysteria, Kenny said. According to Medical News Today, mass hysteria spreads rapidly, is spread by communication, has symptoms that aren't attached to any physical cause, and tends to spread fastest among young women. There are all these figures when you put them together and all these patterns when you put them together, which strongly point to a phenomenon called social contagion, Kenny said. Typically, psychic epidemics follow a similar pattern, she said. A prominent person behaves in an unhealthy way when a wider range of people pick up on the behavior and start doing it, too. How it happens. About 10% of people who identify as transgender today are between 13 and 17, according to a study by the UCLA School of Law. That age group is only 8% of the general U.S. population. Most of the time, young people first learn about transgenderism from online activists or influencers, according to Dr. Nicholas Kadaras, a psychologist. Now you have all these social influencers who are gender confused and trans, Kadarás said. Uh, One of the biggest transgender Instagram accounts is that of Jazz Jennings, with 1.2 million followers. Other transgender influencer accounts have hundreds of thousands of followers. When Jennings gets high numbers of searches on Google, searches for am I transgender also hit peaks. The Epic Times attempted to contact Jennings but received no response. Gender dysphoria is a real condition, and some people genuinely struggle with it, Carter Ross said. I'm probably butchering that name over and over. Uh, but it is likely that the real condition isn't nearly as prevalent as the copycat gender dysphoria that spreads rapidly. When transgenderism seems cool to young people, many more people identify as transgender than usual. It becomes so popular that it's become normalized. And in fact, it would I would say more than normalized, it's become idealized, he said, <clears throat> in their own words. On Egg Earl, a popular transgender Reddit page with 243,000 members, posts about changing gender show a community where changing sexual identity is a very self-conscious behavior. One meme reads, I wish I was a trans woman. The phrase means that the man writing wishes he wanted to be a woman. In the comments, multiple users say that the curiosity about being transgender suggests that someone is transgender. I realize that if I want to be seen as a woman, act like a woman, look like a woman, then it does not really matter if I am a woman. I want to transition anyway, and then I will finally start to feel like a woman, one commenter wrote. I used to think for years before cracking that there was no way I could be trans because I don't feel like a woman, but how could, how would I, after living and being perceived as a guy for decades? Another comment reads, Another meme jokes about how transgenderism can be a performance that others can misinterpret. Acting feminine to give off the vibe that I am trans, the top half of one meme reads, with a relaxed cartoon girl. My parents asked me if I'm gay appears in the bottom half of the meme, along with the same girl wearing a concerned expression. Another Reddit post from a woman who identifies as a man said it can be difficult to see where the performance ends and someone's real personality begins. If I did anything, even remotely feminine, I was convinced it made me less of a man, that I was acting too much like a girl, the post said. The Epoch Times reached out to several transgender activists for comment, but none responded by press time. This online transgender community can be massively influential, according to People copy famous people. As an example of how contagious behavior spread, Kadaris described a series of events that happened in the 1790s. In 1794, author Johann Johann Goethe—I don't know what that name is—but sorry—published uh, a novel titled *The Sorrows of Young Werther*. In the book, a depressed, sensitive young man named Werther killed himself because he was in a love triangle. The novel was widely popular across Europe, but Goethe's story had a negative impact. A plague of copycat suicides swept through Europe's young men. Now imagine imagine twenty twenty two with social influencers with one hundred million followers and twenty four seven digital immersion. It's the werther effect amplified, Kadaris said. Uh, similarities and differences. Like other psychic epidemics, transgenderism has famous influencers and spreads rapidly among young women, Kenny said. Most of the young people who decide they're transgender have decided based on the super spreaders on the internet, she said. But unlike many psychic epidemics, transgenderism is finding support from governments, universities, courts, and healthcare systems, she said. This course of action is madness, she said. Just because something is a trend doesn't make it mentally healthy. If we look at a suicide epidemic, you don't have court's changing the law to allow children to commit suicide if they want to, she said. It doesn't matter how much puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or mutilating surgery you have, you will still be a biological male or a biological female. Even so, it's challenging to fight a psychic epidemic that spreads online, Kenny said. It's a really, really thorny question, she said. In the past, decreasing media coverage of influential suicides has resulted in less suicide. According to suicide prevention website, suicide.org, the media can help prevent suicide by talking about it less. Minimize coverage of suicides, keep the stories relatively brief, and do not run too many stories, the site's coverage advice reads. But the wide range of online transgender celebrities, pro-transgenderism websites, government-approved Approval for transgenderism and other issues make fighting the psychic panic extremely difficult, Kenny said. Activists have often attempted to suppress information about how tran- transgenderism might not be an unchangeable condition that can only be improved by surgery. In 2018, a network of 100 British academics published an open letter stating that many academics have faced activist media, and academic attempts to suppress or quell their research into the rise of transgenderism. Other studies have promoted treatments for transgenderism without good evidence. In America, several academic studies claiming to show that taking hormones made transgender people feel less suicidal were funded by large pharmaceutical companies that produce expensive hormones. Hmm, nothing fishy there. The studies also had major design flaws that meant they were more likely to return a result that encouraged gender transition. Everybody is too scared to say the emperor has no clothes, Kenny said. Confusion and clarity. The increased publicity of transgenderism tends to leave young children and teenagers tormented by questions that kids in the past rarely had to face, according to psychologist Leonard Sachs. When schools and society teach kids that something is fundamental, "'Foundationally, as gender identity can change day by day, the kids get anxious,' Sachs said. "'Encouraging kids to experiment with their gender doesn't help them find an identity. It just confuses them. Gender, "'Gender turns out to be much more fragile than we imagined,' he said. "'That actually has huge consequences. consequences in that kids get really confused, "'and as a result, they are anxious, depressed, and disengaged.'" Mental and physical differences between biological men and biological women are real. Sack said they impact learning and thought in a variety of ways. Children need to be taught in a way that considers these biological differences. Every enduring culture of which we have any substantial record has devoted substantial resources to teaching girls what it means to be a good woman and teaching boys what it means to be a good man. These are biological realities found across the primate order and indeed across mammals. If society doesn't teach children to be good men and women, children won't learn to live without gender. Uh, Often they will live out the worst qualities of manhood and womanhood. Boys often become absorbed in pornography and violent video games and girls seek sexual attention on social media, he said. You ignore gender, you end up reinforcing gender stereotypes. How things end. The best thing people can do for people with i who identify as transgender is not to argue with them. Kenny said their decisions aren't coming from a place of rational argument. You'll lose them in the first two minutes, she said. Unfortunately, some young people cannot be worked with because they're so closed and so brainwashed and so convinced that transitioning is going to solve all their problems. Instead, people who want to help sh- should try to understand people who identify as transgender, and learn why they are struggling, she said. Some young people return to normal after psychotherapy, but others are so brainwashed by the transgender movement that they are almost unreachable. It is a very uphill battle, Kenny said. Psychic epidemics usually end when people start publicly speaking up against them, she said. An epidemic that spreads through speech can be countered by speech. It takes courageous voices to speak up and say, we've got to stop this madness um yeah i mean that's pretty much kind of i think what i was trying to say if i didn't say it it quite so eloquently um but that's kind of how i feel i mean i've always thought a man's a man a woman's a woman biologically following the science uh that's basically what it's always said and pointed to like i say if they if you're I guess using their words of brainwashing these kids at a young age that this is really, they don't really feel like a man or, or a boy or they don't really feel like a girl and beating this into their heads, like it says, it's going to make them anxious because they're confused. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure I I am a boy, but you're just now telling me that I'm not or whatever, vice versa. Um, it's destroying our children. And Unfortunately, like I say, it's it's an activism thing. You got the, the nut jobs in these that are yelling the loudest and getting these useful idiots to follow them along. And before long, you end up with a, a bigger and bigger crowd. And it's just, like I say, it's a psychic epidemic. And unfortunately, with social media and all those fun things, it's only going to get worse. So, anyways... Kind of to end that, I just seen that article and thought it was fairly interesting. Uh, Quick break, and I'll get back to my other stuff that I was going to talk about. (laughs) Keep getting sidetracked. There's so much crap going on all the time. It's hard to keep it all straight. Uh, So be right back. Okay, so I haven't really talked much about the Ukraine-Russia conflict and kind of basically all these other countries getting involved in it. Uh, including the U.S. sending all kinds of stuff over there, you know, and billions of dollars. The The problem is that I think everybody's been tricked into thinking that Zelensky's this, uh, I don't know, non-corrupt, I don't know what you're even trying to describe him as. <clears throat> but he is kind of, I think, another one of those Klaus Schwab- uh, influential people with the World Economic Forum that's kind of been planted there. He's, been, I mean, like I say, uh, there's a lot of people um, that ha- go to these Davos, you know, summits and whatever and talk about, you know, how they're going to uh, change to net zero. And I mean, Zelensky's definitely been doing that recently, especially. And um, I mean, investments. That's going to be a big thing. So they're going to kind of force investment companies and the stock market into like that ESG score, which there's a lot of places that are starting that now already. So it's not like this stuff isn't happening. You know, I mean, you're going to get everybody that's going to say, oh, it's conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. But luckily with the internet, you can go and, if you want to spend some time and go dig this stuff up, you can read the stuff for yourself. And like I say, I usually try and give tell you where to go find it. Whether you do or not, that's your that's your business. Um, but BlackRock also. Um, Larry Fink's the CEO of BlackRock. Uh so just part of this, I'm just gonna read part of this first too, because it kind of all ties together with this whole new world order i don't know if you, if you think of the conspiracy side of it i mean that has been around the new world order everybody's talked about that since like the 90s um but this is their idea you know these intellectual people that like I say know how to run your life better than you do uh their their version of new world order as far as getting all these countries to collaborate and get in on this uh, this net zero stuff, uh, reusable energy, blah, 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 Um, and kind of how to um, force, basically, people into stocks that they give a highest ESG score to. I mean, a lot of the things that have been going on with this Russia-Ukraine thing, um, like with McDonald's pulling out because their, uh, lending companies, you know, that want to, if they want to do improvements and need a loan or something, um, McDonald's come out, and said they're, they're shutting down their businesses in Russia because it's, uh, oh, how did they word it? A, uh, gosh, now I'm drawing a blank on that one. They're, uh, some kind of a financial risk or something, something to do with that effect. Um, But BlackRock, they're a huge investment firm. Uh, So this is a letter from their CEO. Uh, This is just a part of it, I guess. So down in his letter to other CEOs, uh, he writes, a new world of work. And I mean, this kind of ties in, but it's a little little off topic here, but here we go. No relationship has been changed more than By the pandemic than the one between employers and employees the quit rate in the u.s and the uk is at historic highs in the u.s we are seeing some of the highest wage growth in decades workers seizing new opportunities is a good thing it demonstrates their confidence in a growing economy while turnover and rising pay are not a feature of every region or sector employees across the globe are looking far for more from their employer including more flexibility and more meaningful work. As companies rebuild themselves coming out of the pandemic, CEOs face a profoundly different paradigm than we are used to. Companies expected workers to come to the office five days a week. Mental health was rarely discussed in the workplace, and wages for those on low and middle incomes barely grew. That world is gone. Workers demanding more from their employers is an essential feature of effective capitalism. It drives prosperity and creates a more competitive landscape for talent, pushing companies uh, to create better, more innovative environments for their employees, actions that will help them achieve greater profits for their shareholders. Companies that deliver are reaping the rewards. Our research shows that companies who forge strong bonds with their employees have seen lower levels of turnover and higher returns through the pandemic. Companies not adjusting to this new reality and responding to their workers do so at their own peril. Turnover drives up expenses, drives down productivity, and erodes culture and corporate memory. CEOs need to be asking themselves whether they are creating an environment that helps them compete for talent. At BlackRock, we are doing the same, working with our own employees to navigate the new world of work. Creating that environment is more complex than ever and reaches beyond issues of pay and flexibility. In addition to ep- upending our relationship with where we physically work, the pandemic also shone a light on issues like racial equity, <clears throat> there's that word, equity, childcare, and mental health, and revealed the gap between generational expectations at work. These themes are now center stage for CEOs who must be thoughtful about how they use their voice and connect on social issues important to their employees. Those who show humility and stay grounded in their purpose are more likely to build the kind of bond that endures the span of someone's career. At BlackRock, we want to understand how this trend is impacting your industry and your company. What are you doing to deepen the bond with your employees? How are you ensuring that employees of all backgrounds feel safe enough to maximize their creativity, innovation, and productivity? How are you ensuring your board has the right oversight of these critical issues? Where and how we work will never be the same as it was. How is your company's culture adapting to this new world? And I mean, it goes on uh, with a bunch of other crap. I mean, it's kind of an interesting article. If you care to read it, it's uh, Larry Fink's 2022 letter to the CEOs, the power of capitalism. Um, let's see. Yeah, Anyways. So there's another problem that's uh, also the World Government Summit, and I guess that's been going on for a while. But they talk about this, their version of the New World Order, which is essentially the elites forcing the rest of us peons into doing what they believe is the best for all humanity. But, you know, if you're WikiLeaks, you still in parentheses say, Conspiracy theory. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) uh, if you want, so here, I'll just read it to you because it's kind of comical in a a way. So Wikipedia is, if if you look up New World Order, just search that. Wikipedia comes up, you know, they seem to be the leftist authority on what everything is. Uh, New World Order, in parentheses, conspiracy theory. And then it goes on to say, The New World Order is a conspiracy theory which hypothesizes a secretly emerging totalitarian world government. The common theme in conspiracy theories about a New World Order is that a secretive power elite with a globalist agenda is conspiring to eventually rule the world through an authoritarian one-world government, which will replace sovereign nation-states, and an all-encompassing propaganda whose ideology hails the establishment of the New World Order as a culmination of history's progress, many influential historical and contemporary figures have therefore been alleged to be part of the cabal that operates through many front organizations to orchestrate significant political and financial events, ranging from causing systemic crisis to pushing through controversial policies at both national and international levels as steps in an ongoing plot to achieve world domination. Before the early 1990s, the New World Order conspiracy, uh, conspiracism was limited to two American countercultures, Primarily, the militantly anti-government right, and secondarily, the part of fundamentalist Christianity concerned with the end-of-time emergence of the Antichrist. Skeptics, skeptics, such as Michael Barkin and Chip Berlow, observed that right-wing populist conspiracy theories about a new world order had not only been embraced by many seekers of stigmatized knowledge, but had seeped into popular culture. Thereby inaugurating a period during the late 20th and early 21st centuries in the United States, where people are actively preparing for apocalyptic millenarian millen. Mill- I'm not even trying. <laughs> oh boy, I'm having a rough one with that one. Scenarios, <laughs> apocalyptic scenarios. Let's just leave it at that. Those political scientists are concerned that mass hysteria over new world order conspiracy theories could eventually have devastating effects on American political life, ranging from escalating lone wolf terrorism to the rise of the power of authoritarian, ultranationalist demagogues. <laughs> Wikipedia, they're about worthless for the most part. Um. So, anyways. Zelensky has, uh, been praised highly by, uh, Klaus Schwab, and he's spoken many times at the World Economic Forum, and has also recently, you know, uh, enacted a bunch of these green energy policies, you know, right in the middle of being bombed by Russia. <laughs> so kind of the theory that I've, I've seen different uh, versions of kind of what people think's going on. Uh, Cause originally, you know, Klaus Schwab says people like Putin, you know, are their uh, people they've gotten put into the cabinets of these different countries, you know, so they can all be on the same page on where they want to take the world to. Um, but you've got countries like, I think, like uh, Russia. And if if I'm reading Putin right, he's more on the no, I want to be my own country, Mother Russia, which includes these countries that kind of came out of when the Soviet Union fell apart and these places created their own country like Crimea, Ukraine, you know, a bunch of the other ones across that, uh, I guess. Eastern-Western border, Eastern Europe, Western Russia uh, into their own countries. And then, you know, like say, Volodymyr Zelensky, he was, like I said before, approved, had an approval rating of like 73% when he got elected in. Now he is, I I would say, kind of like uh, Ukraine's Trump in a way that they they know how to uh, well how would I phrase this correctly more or less be able to play to what the country's feeling you know and play into it I guess so um let's see Uh, truthtalk.uk, I don't know what this site is, but they've got a little deal on here. WEF puppet Zelensky pushes Europe to transition to green energy. So the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, delivered a live public broadcast urging all Western nations to quickly adopt so-called green energy policies, which he says will undermine the influence of Russia in Europe because of course you know as far as Putin's concerned with his pipeline and you know and I'm, I can see where he's coming from Putin's economy you know most economies run off of gas and oil I mean that's just a, a fact and you know coal China China hasn't changed anything they're doing they're still building coal power plants uh they're building all kinds of power plants they're still, going full steam ahead on their infrastructure. They've got coal, they've got natural, I don't know how many natural gas ones they are doing, but they still have uh, nuclear that are putting in everywhere. You know, they're, they're still trying to, they've got the, the communist mentality that they, they've been seeing how kind of the U S has been kind of like the world, I guess, superpower for too long in their minds. That they want to be able to build up big enough to basically knock us back in our place. Uh, Putin and Russia, Russia's kind of in the same place that China's in. The state runs the media, so the, the actual people don't understand what's going on in the rest of the world realistically. I mean, to a, to a large extent. You know, most of them probably don't even know that Russia's even in a war because their media does not. Uh, air any of that stuff <clears throat> so unless they're somehow getting information from outside of russia or like china they're somehow getting information from outside of china they have no idea what the rest of the world what's going on um and that's kind of i think what our government would love to do and kind of does in the background and you know until people discover it and then everybody wants to just say you're you're a conspiracy theorist But, you know, like they say, the psyche, you can't, you can't change some of these people's minds because they've, they've so bought into what the mainstream, air quotes, mainstream narrative is. So, if Putin was wanting to build this pipeline into Germany and Europe, basically, uh, Russia, I guess, has a lot of oil. I didn't really know that, but I guess they do. I mean, there's, there's. Of the probably the largest land mass country in the world um, as far as a single country goes. Um, they've got to have some, you know, massive reserves probably somewhere underneath that plantation of dirt. Uh, so if Putin says, I, I'm going to raise these prices basically of my oil that you guys are using and depend on, because all these green woke you know people, uh Germany, Ukraine now, uh any of these people that are in on this whole WEF, great reset, uh net zero, whatever. I mean our own John Kerry, he proudly goes over there, we need to do this and do that and they they are forcing this stuff onto people. Not that and it it's going to, I think, have a, a really negative effect on how these so these people all have money in the first place. So they don't they're quite disconnected from how these policies are gonna affect us normal people that live down here, you know, the hard working class that actually keeps tax revenue going to the governments and stuff for them to even function in the first place, other than just printing money here in America from the federal government and then we just dole it out to all these other countries to bail them out and it's like it's just a big it's a pyramid scheme realistically but zelensky uh in this new video zelensky urges the nato alliance specifically western europe to quickly adopt the wef's build back better climate change it oh where'd build back better come from again i thought that was i thought it was joe biden's you know campaign slogan It's come from the World Economic Forum. This is a conspiracy theory. (laughs) Uh, Climate change agenda as it helps his country. He advocates for green energy as a top priority so that NATO alliance members are not reliant on Russian energy cells. Zelensky's proposal to stop the war is basically so-called green energy. It seems a bit odd, doesn't it? That the president in the middle of a war zone would be advocating for the net zero climate change agenda. But you are not seeing the bigger picture because Ukraine is a crisis that cannot be wasted. The Green New Deal, Build Back Better, and Western nations' climate change agenda is far more important than a single US funded proxy war. Ukraine is being used as a tool for the globalist agenda for a net zero world, as well as being a testbed for the WEF's Great Reset digital identity ambitions. Speaking of the Danish in the Danish parliament, the Russian aggression against Ukraine. Should accelerate the green transformation in Europe, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said on Tuesday. Um, so, kind of the other the other thing of this is is if if Putin really is like uh, Klaus Schwab said, one of their implants into these cabinets, um, this could all be a fake war for all these other countries to enact all this stuff. Now that's a possibility but then again you know most of this stuff seems so crazy it's got to be a conspiracy theory. So if this is how it's really gonna go down and then all this green energy crap can be pushed through and get all you know, maybe maybe that is what it is but um, Putin has typically been more of the uh, mother Russia, My country, this, and you know that, and it was a KGB agent and all that fun stuff as well, so propaganda is definitely in their mind (laughs) on both sides, Zelensky's not too much farther out from that either, Um, here's what he said Quote, European policy is already aimed at reducing the consumption of environmentally hazardous resources, but Russian aggression against Ukraine and against everything on which life in Europe is built is an argument for accelerating the green transformation on the continent. Europe must give up Russian oil, give up as soon as possible. According to Zelensky, long before this war, it was obvious that humanity should reduce the use of fossil fuels. The era of coal and oil has caused very serious damage to the environment our planet as a whole. Green technologies, green energy have been a logical and fair response to this challenge. After all, it is is the crazy incomes from energy resources that allow the Russian leadership to be bold, break the generally accepted rules, spread hatred against other peoples, against us, and destroy the life of neighboring countries, Zelensky said. If we go back to 111 of 2021, President Volodymyr Zelensky was totally convinced that the development of mankind depended on the actions taken by governments and businesses in the following decade to reduce the pace of climate change. He wrote, "The further development of mankind depends on what governments and businesses will have time to do in this decade. If we fail to reduce the pace of climate change after 2030, the social and And economic losses will be so significant that we simply can't even imagine it. No one in the world can shut themselves off from this threat within their national borders, and no one will be able to beat the climate with political populism. It is important to remember the goal of the climate change promoters are not an energy system that changes the global climate. No the goal of the climate change groups are to create carbon tax trading systems a new financial control and monitoring mechanism and a global taxation program to control all human activity at a global level but this system also needs a digital identity wallet for it to work and is this or is what that what these green passes are really about Zelensky's message goes in lockstep with a recent statement by Klaus Schwab in a short address delivered virtually to the World Government Summit in Dubai on Tuesday, the same day as Zelensky's address. Schwab said there will be systemic and structural changes and that the global supply chain's energy and food systems will be deeply affected. Uh, He said that history is truly at a turning point. We do not Yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen, Klaus Schwab, uh, and the clip here too of Klaus Schwab doing his spiel. Um, but what I'm saying here is, I think we're all being uh, it. It kind of looks more or less to me like we're all being, uh, I don't know, persuaded into believing that. All this is because, you know, just Putin's aggression. We all have to do, all the rest of the countries around the world have to do all this and that, you know, to to punish Putin and the Russian cabal. Uh, I mean, even so far as to people in our, our own government saying that they need a regime change. Now, for some reason, our governments have been in that business for way too long. That should not be any of our business. Um, another thing is, is our very own money system here in the United States being, I mean, they're, they're openly talking about this stuff because I'm pretty sure they're going to do it. And that is the digital dollar, which they want to talk about it being programmable, which means it's only identified to you through whatever metrics they're going to use to do that. I don't know, but they are, I think going to push that because it, it costs so much money to produce money and to print it and all that stuff. And it consumes a lot of energy, just the same as uh, a lot of AI stuff does. And even like Bitcoin and blockchain and all that stuff, it all takes servers and all this All of this kind of energy to to run this stuff. So what's not making a lot of sense to me is how are we saving the planet by using more energy to do all these other things? (laughs) We we still got to... I mean, the only thing I can figure out is, you know, somebody's got to figure out cold fusion. You know, and that's still just a theory. Uh, But if... Cold fusion could be, in theory, if it could be figured out, then energy essentially could be free, because everybody could have their own little mini power plant right inside your house and produce, you know, whatever amount of energy you needed. You wouldn't need solar panels, you wouldn't need any of that bullcrap, which would be the best way to go, I mean, if that really was a thing, but obviously, you know, nobody's thought of that yet, or... It's not being developed because there's no money in it. <laughs> After what I would say would be the biggest thing. There's no money in it for these big corporations and, you know, people that think they're smarter than the rest of us. Uh, that's why we're, that's why they keep telling us we shouldn't think. Let us tell you how to think. Let me persuade you. Um, like I say. The, the thing that's going on with Ukraine, I, I'm not fully bought into it is what it seems to be, like what we're being told it is. And that's why I really haven't talked a whole lot about it because I'm kind of still, you got to kind of wait these things out and see what really, I mean, just like the Hunter Biden laptop, you know, it was totally pushed on all of us right before the election that it was, you know, Russian disinformation. <laughs> Uh, and just the, all the crap, that, you know, and all the media went in on it, uh, except, you know, like like I've tried to explain before, other than the Republican side, which is Fox News uh, and other smaller organizations, but the rest of the media is all basically Democrat propaganda machines. Uh, so what they don't report on is just as important as what they report on <laughs> if you want to really know what's going on, uh, because now that, you know, Two years later, it's all of a sudden, oh, yeah, actually, that laptop, you know, that story really was true, and it wasn't Russia disinformation, and Hunter Biden is actually being probably going to be, well, I don't know, he's well-connected, as you know, it's just like being a Clinton, somehow your, you know, stuff gets pushed aside and nobody ever goes to jail. I think that's what really pisses a lot of people off, is that none of these people are ever held accountable for anything they do. Like they might as well just go and murder as many people as they want. And just well, we had to because of this or that. Or they were they were white supremacists, and then be like, "Oh, well, okay, that's that's good. Yeah, we don't like white supremacists. Go ahead and kill them." And that's how it happens, folks. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'm gonna get back. I got got an article here. Um, let's see with the uh, digital dollar stuff and kind of explain a little bit of what that is. Um, and actually, well, anyways, I'll be right back. I'll tell you about it in just a moment. Okay. So if by now you're not just thinking I'm a crazy nut job, conspiracy theorist, I'm not doing a good enough job (laughs) because my, myself, I mean, I'm I'm one of those people. I'd be like, that sounds ridiculous. There is no way that could ever happen. Uh, which is why things are happening, because everybody just thinks that could never happen, and sure enough, you know, stick your head in the sand long enough, and it, pop it back up, and all that shit's happened, oh, pardon my French there, all that stuff has happened, family friendly here, but you have no idea how hard it is not to cuss sometimes, especially when this stuff really starts getting you irritated, um, so how, actually, let's see, maybe this, uh, so once again, It's all about the climate. So that has to be one of the major agenda pushers to essentially, like I said, these people that are these intellectuals that have come up with all this stuff, they all have money. So implementing these policies is not going to affect them. They have everything they need and their needs will be taken care of no matter what happens to us by them implementing this stuff. So from the World Government Summit, right from their website, uh, partnering for climate action collaborations with the private sector because they are going to use the private sector to basically enact all this stuff, whether you want them to or not. Um, Let's see. The first one is the cost of climate change and the displacement crisis, building resilience through adaptation and localization, private sector engagement, moving beyond typical funding arrangements, Uh, building resilience through adaptation and localization, private sector engagement, moving beyond typical funding arrangements, six recommendations to address the vulnerabilities of fragile communities. The climate situation is rapidly fueling poverty and instability and is likely to increase economic burdens on governments struggling with the management of the pandemic and ever-increasing humanitarian needs. In the current COVID-19 transition and recovery context, PwC's report outlines how it is desirable for governments to integrate climate change adaptation and mitigation strategies into decision-making and policy frameworks addressing recovery and resilience. Integration will secure governments and deliver on the global visions for sustainability development through pur- purposeful or purposive and indirect reduction in vulnerability and poverty while building partnerships to protect our collective futures. I mean, there's all kind. That's another website. If you want to go to the world government summit, org, And I mean, get it right from the, the horse's mouth, so to say, but the, uh, the problems that we see now have been largely caused by world governments. So that's that's the trick they got you to believe. So create the problem, but then say, oh, the only way to fix this problem is by giving us more power to do these things, and we'll fix it. And like a bunch of dummies, us humans, just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and round and round we go um so anyways they they would like to and are openly talking about this enacting a digital dollar now the the problems that come with all of this new technological stuff is it's it's turning these hackers into bigger a bigger business more and more people are going to be hackers to bust into all this stuff that we keep transitioning into this electronic stuff and especially if this stuff's controlled by the government they suck at security so i mean i guess if anybody wants want to hack into our new digital dollar accounts we can just start adding zeros to it and be quadrillionaires or whatever the largest number you could think of Well, let me just keep hitting the zero here and I'm gonna be the richest person in the world. (laughs) At least until the next person enters more zeros than me. But anyways, there's also a secondary problem with that is then, you know, and they claim that this will this is not gonna happen, that you know, the government's not gonna be looking at everything you spend your money on. I call bull crap right now because they always say that we fall into the okay, well, let's do it then. And then next thing, you know, they're doing exactly what they said they wouldn't do. So here's a article from Wired, How a new digital dollar could shake the US financial system. <clears throat> it says, I got to scroll down here. Uh, oh, the Biden administration is looking into a government-issued digital currency. The implications would be profound. Now, if you've got a president that is an anti-gun person, uh, although at the same time says that uh, I don't want to do anything to affect the Second Amendment and any of my policies won't affect the Second Amendment, while the policies he enacts affects the Second Amendment. (laughs) Uh, You know, he's openly bragged about, you know, helping the, the Brady Bill and all the other different things that, you know, he has helped get past as far as being an anti Second Amendment person. So, anyways, that's that's part of it though. Because so what I was trying to get at with that is so if they this administration and Joe, Joe Biden decide that you know we're gonna block anybody from buying uh, from ammunition distributors or gun distributors. You go to any of these places and you think you're buying yourself a new gun, and you use your digital dollar card or whatever the heck it's going to be. And all of a sudden, denied shows up. Denied shows up again. It's like, what the heck's going on? Well, you know, there's some kind of technical uh, difficulties we're having, or eventually they'll just kind of say, no, we're, this is how we're basically essentially going to ban, ban any new buying of guns and ammo and whatever else. So the the dark side that they claim is never going to happen, but always does happen, will come out of this. So President Joe Biden yesterday issued an executive order that could lead to the U.S. creating a digital currency. And part of that is, I think, because they keep spending money, telling us that it's lowering the deficit by spending all this money. So that's why we need to spend more money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's laughable if it wasn't so stupid, but that's, that's, I, I don't know if they're just trying to think we're that stupid, that we don't understand how debt works, that they can say, oh, well, see, our original plan was for $10 trillion, but now we're only wanting to pass a bill that's $5 trillion, so see, for that for for that little cut in $5 trillion, we're actually lowering the deficit. <laughs> You're lowering the deficit by not increasing the deficit <laughs> by as much as you'd like to. Uh, I don't know if they're really, if we're letting this country be run by sane people. Uh, I I'm, I'm Actually, I'm positive we're not. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> My administration places the highest urgency on research and development efforts into the potential design and deployment options of a United States CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. The executive order said these efforts should include assessments of possible benefits and risks for consumers investors and businesses, financial stability and systemic risk, payment systems, national security, the ability to exercise human rights, financial inclusion and equity, and the actions required to launch a United States CBDC if doing so is deemed to be in the national interest. Um, they also want to do the base, universal basic income stuff. So basically, if you're poor uh either don't want to work or for whatever societal reason you're poor to begin with is usually they're doing uh they'll just deposit money into your digital dollar account every month or every week however they decide they want to set it up um i i don't understand how this is all going to work but i mean it's probably a lot like the the stock market and Bitcoin and all that stuff anyways. I don't understand how it physically works other than we believe it to be working. (laughs) I mean, that's basically all our all our dollars still here for because we still believe it works. Um where was I now? Uh, Biden, Biden's order said a U.S.-issued digital currency could be used to support efficient and low-cost transactions, particularly for cross-border funds, transfers and payments, and to foster greater access to the financial system with a fewer with fewer of the risks posed by private sector-administered digital assets, such as Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. But there are potential risks and downside to consider. And Biden ordered federal agencies to prepare a report within six months analyzing the implica- implications. Over 100 countries are already exploring or piloting. CBDCs, the White House said. Biden also ordered... Okay, so let, let's put it this way. So if they're not going to be watching where all this money's going, why would the cartels not get in on this? because right now they're they're doing the same thing running money back and forth guns one way guns and money one way drugs the other way run the drugs in run the guns ammo and money back south so as far as that goes or terrorist plots you know to just they can't not be watching what you're spending every dollar on I mean, right off the bat, I can pick that out. I mean, as stupid as I am. I mean, I'm smart, slightly smarter than stupid, and I can figure that out. So let's see uh, what else here. Biden also ordered government agencies to develop policies for managing cryptocurrencies that already exist. (laughs) The rise in digital assets creates an opportunity to reinforce American leadership in the global financial system and at the technological frontier, but also has substantial implications for consumer protection, financial stability, national security, and climate risk. The White House said Biden's order encourages regulators to ensure sufficient oversight and safeguard against any systemic financial risks posed by digital assets. Biden's order noted that negative climate impacts and environmental pollution may result from some cryptocurrency mining. There would be no need for mining with a digital currency issued by a central bank. So essentially what that does is gives them the power to cook the books even worse than they already are. So uh, if you take, I don't know, what are we at, 30... Thirty trillion, well just around up to 30 trillion dollars in in national debt and for some reason we're still sending oodles of cash to these other countries <laughs> which makes no sense uh, other than they're still trying to keep the dollar relevant in the rest of the world so it I guess doesn't collapse but how uh, how will this not affect inflation? Because if you're, especially if you give people a basic income or a universal basic income, whatever they want to call it. So you're just giving people that uh, aren't working a set amount of money so they can go buy goods and stuff like that, which, which makes sense. But if now you're putting more money into the economy that people can go buy goods with but say there's less people producing those goods because now they can stay home and just receive an income it's going to snowball into another uh, an a cla- any a collapse blah can't freaking talk today you collapse the economy and i don't know maybe that's maybe that's what they're trying to do because if you can just keep I mean, Nancy Pelosi's even come out and said, oh, we just, you know, we need to just do direct payments to people, not, uh, I don't remember what it was for. Like I say, it's hard to keep track of all this stuff because there's so much garbage coming out of our freaking government these days. It's freaking crazy. Okay, so anyway, let's get back to this. (laughs) Biden's order noted that, uh, oh wait, I already read that one, sorry. Bitcoin's price was up 8% Wednesday, and other cryptocurrencies rose as Biden's order appeared to take a supportive stance toward the industry. Uh, Bitcoin's price has been highly volatile as it began the, pan- began the pandemic at 7300 peaked at around 68000 before falling back down to about 39000 A Biden administration official noted in a call with reporters on Tuesday, What is a central bank digital currency? The Federal Reserve explains that a central bank digital currency is generally defined as a digital liability of a central bank that is widely available to the general public. That's in contrast to the two current types of central bank money in the U.S., physical currency issued by the Federal Reserve and digital balances held by commercial banks at the Federal Reserve, a Federal Reserve fact said. Uh, While Americans have long held money predominantly in digital form, for example, in bank accounts, payment apps, or through online transactions, a CBDC would differ from existing digital money available to the general public because a CBDC would be a liability of the Federal Reserve, not of a commercial bank. That makes no sense because all these commercial banks run under the Federal Reserve. It's like the Federal Reserve, and then all these other commercial banks just branch out. It's it's all the same thing. So all this crap they're trying to tell us, you know, is basically garbage. Just well, buy, buy this, you know, this is what we're telling you. Just buy into it, so we can do it. Um, because it would be a liability of the Federal Reserve, a CBDC would be a safest digital asset available to the general public with no associated credit or liquidity risk. (laughs) Okay, so how do the rest of the banks give us loans to buy? Oh, wait, we're not supposed to be able to buy our own stuff, remember? Because we're going to own nothing and be happy about it. Okay, I get it now. A U.S.-issued digital currency would in some ways be similar to stable coins that are pegged to the value of the dollar. A major difference is that CBDCs would be issued by the Federal Reserve itself. Uh, This makes absolutely no sense. I mean, Bitcoin's kind of the same thing. So you take your paper money to buy this crypto currency that can make you money, then you can cash out and get your paper money back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it literally, if if you think about it, makes zero sense. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay, the Federal Reserve does not intend to proceed with issuance of a CBDC without clear support from the executive branch and from Congress, ideally in the form of, of a specific authorizing law, the Federal Reserve also says um yeah i just i mean i get it right now a lot of our stuff we use you know we buy it with our debit card and stuff so it's just realistically it's kind of already that in in a roundabout way altogether. but with this new digital dollar i think what they'll probably start doing is retracting they won't be printing money anymore per se and they'll probably slowly start being dragging the cash back in and destroying it more than likely so Eventually there won't be any, you won't be able to go to an ATM and pull out 20 bucks. There just won't be ATMs in in general. It's kind of how I read this anyways. Maybe I'm missing something here. Um, And then it's going to turn into the government will be able to track because they've said it openly many times that they like the Chinese model and they can get things done that way by just forcing people to do stuff. (laughs) So it'll basically turn us into a slave state uh, like China. Like communist China. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I'm not going to keep going into that one. But uh, if you want to watch an interesting show on how you can get your money ripped off, uh, Netflix has a show called Trust No One, The Hunt for the Crypto King. Uh, watch it. I think it was last week and it was, it was pretty interesting because it shows how this guy started up this, uh, kind of like the go between company. So you can invest your money with this company and then they invest it in the whatever cryptocurrency. But what was really happening was he was taking the money and filtering it out. Well, I won't, I won't talk about it, but if you want to watch it, it's a documentary on this guy. It was a, company out of uh, Canada, I do believe, and kind of the stories of these people that invested a ton of money into this, thinking they were going to make a bunch of money off of this cryptocurrencies that they were investing in, that there was no cryptocurrencies there. So when they tried to withdraw their money back out of there, uh, it just kept, you know, like I say, I don't want to give it away too much, but that's kind of the premise of it, of basically how the scam worked and... Well, I'll let you watch it if you really want to. It's, it's an interesting show, though, so I would I would highly recommend it. Um, What else did I want to talk about? Well, that might just be about it. I mean, this podcast is probably plenty long by now. And like I said, with the Internet, you can go and find a lot of this stuff if you just want to do a search. And don't use Google because Google is basically going to feed you what they want you to know. They're gonna feed you what they want you to think. Um, like I have said before, I use uh, Brave now, and that was uh, oh, uh, who was his name? Epstein. Epstein, I don't know what his name was. Crap, and I can't remember. Anyways, he was that computer guy that you know, uh, a lefty, voted for Clinton, you know, the whole thing, but. He at least must have some kind of morals that he's he's kind of talking, coming out and talking about these tech companies and basically what they're doing to free speech and all that stuff. And he's supposedly against all that stuff. But he uses Brave. I've been using Brave since I heard him talk about it. And actually like the site, it's not supposed to track you and all that stuff. And it's not giving you suggestions on, you know, like Google does. Google gives you the list of suggestions in the order they want you to see it because they've algorithmed it and they know, okay, so if we give you these top four and then slowly down the list, the stuff you really wanted to see that you've actually got to go search for more than likely, everybody's going to click on one of those first four. That's from Google's own studies. So that's how their algorithm works and force feed you what they want you to read or listen to or whatever by the first force of you know things that you put start typing in and it gives you the suggestions it's going to give you that start feeding you the suggestions they want you to know (laughs) pretty interesting you can do that if you want on your own um oh man there's another article here that i really wanted to read but i just really don't know if i want to keep going on this podcast where are we at now we're already over two hours dang do uh, you really want to listen to me for three hours <laughs> uh you know i, I kind of want to go through this article so i'm gonna i'm gonna do one last segment and i'll end it with this article from today.com and it talks about the world government summit and are we ready for a new world order and i'll get back to that here in just one moment Okay, so if by now you're not just thinking I'm a crazy nut job, conspiracy theorist, I'm not doing a good enough job. <laughs> because my myself, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people, I'd be like, that sounds ridiculous. There's no way that could ever happen. Uh, which is why things are happening, because everybody just thinks that could never happen. And sure enough, you know. Stick your head in the sand long enough and it pop it back up and all that shit's happened. Oh, pardon my French there. All that stuff has happened. Family friendly here. But you have no idea how hard it is not to cuss sometimes. Especially when this stuff really starts getting you irritated. Um, So how... Actually, let's see. Maybe this... uh, So once again, it's all about the climate. So that has to be one of the major agenda pushers. To essentially, like I said, these people that are these intellectuals that have come up with all this stuff, they all have money. So implementing these policies is not going to affect them. They have everything they need and their needs will be taken care of no matter what happens to us by them implementing this stuff. So from the World Government Summit, right from their website... Uh, Partnering for Climate Action Collaborations with the Private Sector, because they are going to use the private sector to basically enact all this stuff, whether you want them to or not. Um, Let's see, the first one is the cost of climate change and the displacement crisis building resilience through adaptation and localization private sector engagement moving beyond typical funding arrangements. Uh, Building Resilience Through Adaptation and Localization, Private Sector Engagement Moving Beyond Typical Funding Arrangements, Six Recommendations to Address the Vulnerabilities of Fragile Communities. The climate situation is rapidly fueling poverty and instability and is likely to increase economic burdens on governments struggling with the management of the pandemic and ever-increasing humanitarian needs. In the current COVID-19 transition and recovery context, PWC's report outlines how it is desirable for governments to integrate climate change adaptation and mitigation strategies into decision-making and policy frameworks addressing recovery and resilience. Integration will secure governments and deliver on the global visions for sustainability development through pur- purposeful or purposive and indirect reduction in vulnerability and poverty while building partnerships to protect our collective futures. I mean, there's all kind. That's another website. If you want to go to the world government summit org, and I mean, get it right from the, the horse's mouth, so to say, but the, uh, the problems that we see now have been largely caused by world governments. So that's that's the trick they got you to believe. So create the problem, but then say, oh, the only way to fix this problem is by giving us more power to do these things, and we'll fix it. And like a bunch of dummies, us humans, just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and round and round we go. Um so anyways they they would like to and are openly talking about this enacting a digital dollar. Now the the problems that come with all of this new technological stuff is it's it's turning these hackers into bigger a bigger business, more and more people are going to be hackers to bust into all this stuff that we keep transitioning into, this electronic stuff. And especially if this stuff's controlled by the government, they suck at security. So, I mean, I guess if anybody us wants to hack into our new digital dollar accounts, we can just start adding zeros to it and be quadrillionaires or whatever the largest number you could think of. Well, let me just keep hitting the zero here and I'm going to be the richest person in the world. <laughs> at least until the next person enters more zeros than me. But Anyways, <clears throat> there's also a secondary problem with that is then, you know, and they claim that this, will, this is not going to happen, that, you know, the government's not going to be looking at everything you spend your money on. I call bull crap right now because they always say that we fall into the, okay, well, let's do it then. And the next thing you know, they're doing exactly what they said they wouldn't do. So here's a article from Wired, how a new digital dollar could shake the U.S. financial system. <clears throat> it says, i got to scroll down here. Uh, oh, the Biden administration is looking into a government-issued digital currency. The Implications would be profound. Now, if you've got a president that is an anti-gun person, uh, although at the same time says that, oh, uh, I don't want to do anything to affect the second amendment and any of my policies won't affect the second amendment while the policies he enacts affects the second amendment. <laughs> uh, you know, he's openly bragged about, you know, helping the, the Brady bill and all the other different things that, you know, he has helped get passed as far as being an anti second amendment person. So anyways, that's that's part of it though cuz so uh, what i was trying to get at with that is so if they this administration and Joe, Joe Biden decide that you know we're going to block anybody from buying uh, from ammunition distributors or gun distributors you go to any of these places and you think you're buying yourself a new gun and you use your digital dollar card or whatever the heck it's going to be and all of a sudden Denied shows up. Denied shows up again. It's like, what the heck's going on? Well, you know, there's some kind of technical uh, difficulties we're having, or eventually they'll just kind of say, no, we're, this is how we're basically essentially going to ban ban any new buying of guns and ammo and whatever else. So the, the dark side that they claim is never going to happen, but always does happen, will come out of this. So President Joe Biden yesterday issued an executive order that could lead to the U.S. creating a digital currency. And part of that is, I think, because they keep spending money telling us that it's lowering the deficit by spending all this money. So that's why we need to spend more money. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's laughable if it wasn't so stupid. But that's that's. I don't know if they're just trying to think we're that stupid that we don't understand how debt works, that they can say, oh, well, see, our original plan was for $10 trillion, but now we're only wanting to pass a bill that's $5 trillion. So see, for that, for that, for that little cut in $5 trillion, we're actually lowering the deficit. <laughs> You're lowering the deficit by not increasing the deficit <laughs> by as much as you would like to. Uh, I don't know if they're really, if we're letting this country be run by sane people. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm positive we're not. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> my administration places the highest urgency on research and development efforts into the potential design and deployment options of a United States CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. The executive order said these efforts should include assessments of possible benefits and risks for consumers investors and businesses financial stability and systemic risk payment systems national security the ability to exercise human rights financial inclusion and equity and the actions required to launch a united states cbdc if doing so is deemed to be in the national interest um they also want to do the base universal basic income stuff so basically if you're poor uh either don't want to work or for whatever societal reason you're poor to begin with choices usually they're doing uh they'll just deposit money into your digital dollar account every month or every week however they decide they want to set it up um i i don't understand how this is all going to work but i mean it's probably a lot like the the stock market and Bitcoin and all that stuff. Anyways, I don't understand how it physically works other than we believe it to be working. <laughs> I mean, that's basically all our all our dollars still here for because we still believe it works. Um oh, where was I now? <laughs> Uh, Biden Biden's order said a US issued digital currency could be used to support efficient and low-cost transactions particularly for cross-border funds transfers and payments and to foster greater access to the financial system with a fewer with fewer of the risks posed by private sector-administered digital assets, such as Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. But there are potential risks and downside to consider, and Biden ordered federal agencies to prepare a report within six months analyzing the implications. Over 100 countries are already exploring or piloting CBDCs, the White House said. Biden also ordered, okay, so let's put it this way. So if they're not going to be watching where all this money's going, why would the cartels not get in on this? Because right now they're they're doing the same thing running money back and forth, guns one way, guns and money one way, drugs the other way. Run the drugs in, run the guns, ammo and money back south. So As far as that goes, or terrorist plots, you know, to just, they can't not be watching what you're spending every dollar on. I mean, right off the bat, I can pick that out. I mean, as stupid as I am, I mean, I'm smart, slightly smarter than stupid, and I can figure that out. So, let's see, uh, what else here? Biden also ordered government agencies to develop policies for managing cryptocurrencies that already exist. (laughs) The rise in digital assets creates an opportunity to reinforce American leadership in the global financial system and at the technological frontier, but also has substantial implications for consumer protection, financial stability, national security, and climate risk. The White House said Biden's order encourages regulators to ensure sufficient oversight and safeguard against any systemic financial risks posed by digital assets. Biden's order noted that negative climate impacts and environmental pollution may result from some cryptocurrency mining. There would be no need for mining with a digital currency issued by a central bank. So essentially what that does is gives them the power to cook the books even worse than they already are. So uh, if you take, I don't know, what are we at, 30 thirty trillion, well just around at the thirty trillion dollars in, in national debt. And for some reason we're still sending oodles of cash to these other countries, <laughs> which makes no sense. Uh, other than they're still trying to keep the dollar relevant in the rest of the world. So it I guess doesn't collapse. But how will uh, how will this not affect inflation? Because if you're, especially if you give people a basic income or a universal basic income, whatever they want to call it, so you're just giving people that uh, aren't working a set amount of money so they can go buy goods and stuff like that, which, which makes sense. But if now you're putting more money into the economy that people can go buy goods with but say there's less people producing those goods because now they can stay home and just receive an income it's going to snowball into another uh, an a cla- any a collapse blah can't freaking talk today you collapse the economy and i don't know maybe that's maybe that's what they're trying to do because if you can just keep I mean, Nancy Pelosi's even come out and said, oh, we just, you know, we need to just do direct payments to people, not, uh, I don't remember what it was for. Like I say, it's hard to keep track of all this stuff because there's so much garbage coming out of our freaking government these days. It's freaking crazy. Okay, so anyway, let's get back to this. Biden's order noted that, uh, oh wait, I already read that one, sorry. Bitcoin's price was up 8% Wednesday, and other cryptocurrencies rose as Biden's order appeared to take a supportive stance toward the industry. Uh, Bitcoin's price has been highly volatile as it began the, pan- began the pandemic at 7300 peaked at around 68000 before falling back down to about 39000 A Biden administration official noted in a call with reporters on Tuesday, What is a central bank digital currency? The Federal Reserve explains that a central bank digital currency is generally defined as a digital liability of a central bank that is widely available to the general public. That's in contrast to the two current types of central bank money in the U.S., physical currency issued by the Federal Reserve and digital balances held by commercial banks at the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve fact said. Uh, While Americans have long held money predominantly in digital form, for example, in bank accounts, payment apps, or through online transactions, a CBDC would differ from existing digital money available to the general public because a CBDC would be a liability of the Federal Reserve, not of a commercial bank. That makes no sense because all these commercial banks run under the Federal Reserve. It's like the Federal Reserve, and then all these other commercial banks just branch out. It's it's all the same thing. So all this crap they're trying to tell us, you know, is basically garbage. Just well, buy, buy this, you know, this is what we're telling you. Just buy into it, so we can do it. Um, because it would be a liability of the Federal Reserve, a CBDC would be a safest digital asset available to the general public with no associated credit or liquidity risk. (laughs) Okay, so how do the rest of the banks give us loans to buy? Oh, wait, we're not supposed to be able to buy our own stuff, remember? Because we're going to own nothing and be happy about it. Okay, I get it now. A U.S.-issued digital currency would in some ways be similar to stable coins that are pegged to the value of the dollar. A major difference is that CBDCs would be issued by the Federal Reserve itself. Uh, This makes absolutely no sense. I mean, Bitcoin's kind of the same thing. So you take your paper money to buy this crypto currency that can make you money, then you can cash out and get your paper money back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it literally, if, if you think about it, makes zero sense. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay, the Federal Reserve does not intend to proceed with issuance of a CBDC without clear support from the executive branch and from Congress, ideally in the form of, of a specific authorizing law. The Federal Reserve also says... Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I get it right now. A lot of our stuff we use, you know, we buy it with our debit card and stuff. So it's just realistically, it's kind of already that in a, in a roundabout way altogether. But with this new digital dollar, I think what they'll probably start doing is retracting. They won't be printing money anymore per se. And they'll probably slowly start being dragging the cash back in and destroying it more than likely. So Eventually there won't be any, you won't be able to go to an ATM and pull out 20 bucks. There just won't be ATMs in in general. It's kind of how I read this anyways. Maybe I'm missing something here. Um, And then it's going to turn into the government will be able to track because they've said it openly many times that they like the Chinese model and they can get things done that way by just forcing people to do stuff. (laughs) So it will basically turn us into a slave state uh, like China. Like communist China. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I'm not going to keep going into that one. But uh, if you want to watch an interesting show on how you can get your money ripped off, uh, Netflix has a show called Trust No One, The Hunt for the Crypto King. Uh, watch it. I think it was last week and it was, it was pretty interesting because it shows how this guy started up this, uh, kind of like the go between company. So you can invest your money with this company and then they invest it in the whatever cryptocurrency. But what was really happening was he was taking the money and filtering it out. Well, I won't, I won't talk about it, but if you want to watch it, it's a documentary on this guy. It was a, company out of uh, Canada, I do believe, and kind of the stories of these people that invested a ton of money into this, thinking they were going to make a bunch of money off of this cryptocurrencies that they were investing in, that there was no cryptocurrencies there. So when they tried to withdraw their money back out of there, uh, it just kept, you know, like I say, I don't want to give it away too much, but that's kind of the premise of it, of basically how the scam worked and... Well, I'll let you watch it if you really want to. It's, it's an interesting show, though, so I would I would highly recommend it. Um, What else did I want to talk about? Well, that might just be about it. I mean, this podcast is probably plenty long by now. And like I said, with the Internet, you can go and find a lot of this stuff if you just want to do a search. And don't use Google because Google is basically going to feed you what they want you to know. They're gonna feed you what they want you to think. Um, like I have said before, I use uh, Brave now, and that was uh, uh, who was his name? Epstein. Epstein, I don't know what his name was. Crap, and I can't remember. Anyways, he was that computer guy that you know, uh, a lefty, voted for Clinton, you know, the whole thing, but. He at least must have some kind of morals that he's he's kind of talking, coming out and talking about these tech companies and basically what they're doing to free speech and all that stuff. And he's supposedly against all that stuff. But he uses Brave. I've been using Brave since I heard him talk about it. And actually like the site, it's not supposed to track you and all that stuff. And it's not giving you suggestions on, you know, like Google does. Google gives you the list of suggestions in the order they want you to see it because they've algorithmed it and they know, okay, so if we give you these top four and then slowly down the list, the stuff you really wanted to see that you've actually got to go search for more than likely, everybody's going to click on one of those first four. That's from Google's own studies. So that's how their algorithm works and force feed you what they want you to read or listen to or whatever by the first force of you know things that you put start typing in and it gives you the suggestions it's going to give you that start feeding you the suggestions they want you to know (laughs) pretty interesting you can do that if you want on your own um oh man there's another article here that i really wanted to read but i just really don't know if i want to keep going on this podcast. Where are we at now? We're already over 2 hours. Dang. Uh, do you really want to listen to me for 3 hours? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I kind of want to go through this article. So I'm going to I'm going to do one last segment and I'll end it with this article from today.com and it talks about the world government summit and are we ready for a new world order? And I'll get back to that here in just one moment. All right, there was one point uh, that I forgot to talk about, about the cryptocurrencies and things like that. So with this whole thing with Russia going in and so sanctions, let's talk a little bit about sanctions. So basically what it's doing is they can tell all these other banks and different places to not let certain people use their own money. Uh, which I think is kind of a dangerous thing in in and of itself. But as far as I understand, Putin has kind of already been, I I think he's thought this out a little bit beforehand, because he's not an idiot, not like our president. Uh, But, so he's bought physical gold and kind of tried to tie it to the ruble. Well, with the way the European Union and different things are set up with their their money systems over there, it's all kind of tied through the SWIFT program, which is I, I don't quite at all understand at all either. But it's uh the sanctions though, for the most part, I think hurt the the economies of the the people, the little people more than it hurts the government people. Because like I say, these people all have money and resources, so if they're sanctioning these governments and they, they can't provide certain services to the people down the the line that need these government services, who's really getting hurt? The oligarchs that they're seizing their, which I don't see how this is even legal, that other countries can go and seize uh, whatever, and oligarchs, yachts and different things like that. I don't see how that is a legal thing for any country to do to other people from other countries because you don't like what their president's doing or whatever. I mean, I mean, I know governments are are good at thieving from other people. So, I mean, I can see how it's happening, but at the same time, it's like, how do all these other countries decide? that? Oh, because we decided that uh, this guy's bad and this guy's good we're going to seize the assets of the citizens of this country. I just don't see how that is logically, I don't know, it doesn't, I, I guess it just pushes my thinking more to, okay, so if these, if we can do this to these other countries and these oligarchs and whoever else, why would they not do that to us? <laughs> if you don't agree with them, uh, guess what? You don't have the right to exist in our society. And, you know, plenty of governors and different people here in the United States have openly said that, you know, especially if uh, you're a conservative in New York and Cuomo said "If uh, you don't agree with your ideology and you don't belong here in New York. Hmm. There are people, unfortunately, that think that way. Uh, So, Euronews, the EU targets the crypto asset services to Russia in its latest round of sanctions over Ukraine war. So, I mean, even your Bitcoin stuff is not safe. They will will find the people that can shut this stuff down. So, you think you own a lot of stuff and have assets and different things like that, and then a foreign government can come in and say, uh, no, we're seizing that? Uh, that's a little dicey if you ask me, but Hey, I'm a conspiracy theorist. That's what I do. (laughs) Uh, so anyways, I, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. (laughs) Uh, anyways, this article I was going to end with the world government summit. Are you ready? Are we ready for a new world order on today.com? The organizers here are nothing if not ambitious amid a global inflection point by art Moore. Considerable attention recently has been drawn to the World Economics Forum Great Reset Initiative, which regards the COVID-19 pandemic as an opportunity to accelerate the globalist objective of increasingly exchanging national sovereignty for international governance. A lesser known entity, the starkly named World Government Summit, met this week in the ultra-modern... So this, this was, I think, about a month ago when this uh, kind of happened. Well, this, one, this article is from April 1st, so the article is not too long ago. But anyways, uh, da, 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 in it's 20... Oh, wait, I've skipped an a uh, piece here. Okay, hold on. A lesser-known entity, the starkly-named World Government Summit, met this week in the ultra-modern Gulf Emirate, Dubai, which is part of the United Arab Emirates. Its 2022 meeting opened Wednesday with British journalist and CNN Abu Dhabi-based anchor Becky Anderson asking, Are we ready for a new world order? Anderson said the organizers here are nothing if not ambitious for tackling the subject warning that the world has hit an inflection point. We are certainly living in a unique age of uncertainty and volatility in global affairs, she said, referring to the twilight zone that was the pandemic. She described the objective of the opening discussion. Is the U.S.-led multilateral system created post-World War II to manage international relations so that the world would never see an experience the same chaos and disorder of a world war is it anything like fit for purpose anderson asked uh, and if not what is the alternative on the website the world government summit organization describes itself as a global neutral nonprofit organization dedicated to shaping the future of governments it was founded in 2013 by sheikh mohammed bin bin rashid al maktoum probably slaughtered that name as well, but that's what I do. The Vice President and Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates and the ruler of Dubai. The summit in its various activities explores the agenda of the next generation of governments focusing on harnessing innovation and technology to solve universal challenges facing humanity, the website description states. The organization says that since its inception, it has championed the mission of shaping future governments and creating a better future for humanity. For humanity. I don't know what I just said there. (laughs) Ah, Boy, I need a nap. I'm getting old. I need naps. (laughs) Uh, The seven previous annual meetings of the summit have successfully established a new model to collaborate on an international playing field to inspire and enable the next generation of governments. The summit now is poised to scale newer heights of excellence and inclusivity. Themes at the inaugural meeting in 2013 included building citizen trust in governmental entities, social media as a tool for civic engagement and private-public sector partnerships. Among the speakers featured at past summits were President Barack Obama, WEF founder Klaus Schwab, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, and billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk. Now, remember, Elon Musk was the uh, darling of the left because he was talking about climate change, you know, and how we need to find a new planet to live on, which I find kind of ridiculous because Mars isn't even livable as it is. But hey, you know, I'm not as smart as him. (laughs) Uh, And also Barack Obama famously once said that energy prices will uh, effectively have to go up in order for us to create a cleaner cr- cleaner climate or whatever his speech was. I don't remember. I could look it up if I wanted to, but uh, I had about enough of that guy too. <clears throat> and anyways, Biden, a new world order, and we've got to lead it, was a statement he made not too long ago. Uh, at a meeting earlier this month in Washington of the Business Roundtable lobbying Organization, President Biden used the term new world order, as he discussed the Russian invasion of Ukraine and major changes taking place globally. Now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there, and we've got to lead it, and we've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. The Independent newspaper of London reported, Biden has inadvertently drawn the attention of conspiracy theorists with the remarks he made at the end of a speech about the implications of Russia's assault on Ukraine. The paper said the New World Order conspiracy theory dates back decades. The British stated that the theory holds that a nefarious elite led by the United Nations and other shadowy forces is planning to install a single transnational global government via the use of force, possibly with involvement of U.S. agencies, including the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which some believe is preparing to put Americans in concentration camps. Now, just because it's not happening does not mean that it can't happen. And I get I get why they try and claim everything's a conspiracy theory, because it hasn't happened yet. But when it does happen, then is it still a conspiracy theory? Or is it a conspiracy fact? Because that typically ends up being... I mean, how many things just within the last 10 years have been considered conspiracy theories? And then later on down the road... Somebody either leaks something or somebody comes out and finally tells you the truth about it. And next thing you know, that conspiracy theory is not a conspiracy theory anymore, depending on who you talk to. Like, okay, well, the facts now prove that this was real. Uh, All while you guys kept screaming that it was a conspiracy theory. So I'm the crazy one. (laughs) But anyways. If you look at the Build Back Better, that came from the World Economic Forum, and a lot of the other things that a lot of these world leaders say come from the World Economic Forum, and the group then that says they are the elites, and they need to force us to do things to save the planet, you know, because for some reason it wasn't designed well enough to fix itself, Uh, I don't know, we're just... We're just morons for the most part. We're just a bunch of dumb animals running around this planet, and we think that we're the smartest of the species (laughs) because we can build stuff. Uh, Anyways. (laughs) Uh, The independent newspaper... Oh, dang it. I'm reading the same thing again. I forgot to scroll up yet. Uh, Dates back decades, possibly... Uh, However, regardless of what Biden meant when he used the term, his administration is an advocate of the World Economic Forum, adopting its term, Build Back Better. Oh, I just said that, didn't I? Which captures the idea of a great reset of capitalism and the world order in the aftermath of the pandemic. After the November 20th election, WND reported, former Secretary of State John Kerry and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen well, that's a weird name. Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, anyways, said in a WEF panel that a Joe Biden presidency would help propel the Great Reset plan. The notion of a reset is more important than ever before, Kerry said. I personally believe we're at the dawn of an extremely exciting time. Kerry, who has since been appointed Biden's climate czar, said the rejoining of the Paris Climate Accord by Biden would help drive the Great Reset. But rejoining Paris is not enough, Kerry said. The Biden administration will focus on every sector in the American economy, he said. There will be a 2035 goal to achieve net neutrality with respect to power and production. Kerry said the U.S. is ready to come back in and and help to lead and raise the ambition in Glasgow to accelerate this incredible capacity for a transformation in the private sector. Okay, so they're setting these goals for like 2030. Twenty thirty five. I mean, that's really not that far away. Um, California Governor Newsom, I think, enacted some uh, bill, <clears throat> executive order. I don't know what it, what it was exactly. I can't remember, but basically, that they cannot sell any gas engine combustion car in the state uh, by like twenty twenty eight or something like that. Some kind of ridiculous number. So, I'm not saying you can't drive a combustion car. They just will not have any more car dealerships that sell a gas combustion engine. It's all got to be electric. So, in the state of California that already has an energy problem that can't seem to keep the lights on as it is, is now going to transition over to all electric cars and think everybody can just go plug them into the light socket and everything's all (laughs) hunky-dory until it short circuits the power grid and everybody's power goes out (laughs) and you're walking your butt to work. (laughs) Or you're just going to say, oh, I can't come to work. My car is not charged. And how's that going to work for your economy, California? Uh, Explain this one to me because I've said this before. We don't have the infrastructure system and unless you're going to do the Chinese model and force all these companies to be the public private partnership that you want them to be and to tell them that they have to go build these companies or these power plants or whatever, you know, but the environmentalists say no nuclear and uh, which we know now with newer technology is one of the better ways of getting energy and a long term energy plan. Uh, don't build it on the coast where it can be hit by a tsunami like Japan did. And don't put it on a fault line where it can be disrupted by an earthquake. Tornadoes usually aren't that big of a deal because, you know, typically the structure is big enough to withstand wind storms like that. But I digress because, you know, I'm a stupid, dumb redneck that doesn't know anything. I just. Click around on the Internet and listen to all these conspiracy theorists. (laughs) Uh, Last June, the White House published a statement announcing Biden was set to meet with G7 leaders to discuss ways to forge a more fair, sustainable, and inclusive global economy that meets the unique challenges of our time. Among the White House initiatives towards that end is pushing for a global minimum tax on multinational corporations of at least 15%. So what we do now is uh, we don't want corporations to be a, a we don't want them to be their own identity. They're just going to be an arm of the government and do everything the government tells them to do, and tax them at fifteen percent. Which anybody that understands how these corporations work, uh, whatever governments are going to charge them for whatever they produce. They pass it on to the consumers, you know, me and you and everybody else down here that buys their products. They don't eat that cost. So essentially, when they tax these corporations, it's a tax on you. Don't let them don't let them trick you into thinking that, oh, we just want them to pay their fair share. That is the biggest line of bull crap I've ever heard. Uh, And, you know, they want to do this billionaire tax and all this other stuff. It's like those taxes will hit a few people. But mostly, it'll get passed on to all the consumers of that product, whatever it is. Anyways, capitalism as we have known it is dead. Fact checkers have dismissed the Great Reset conspiracy theory, but WEF founder and executive chairman Klaus Schwab made it clear in June 2020 that the COVID 19 pandemic should be exploited as an opportunity to. To advance the globalist agenda promoted by his Davos conferences, which have pushed for numerous proposals, such as a worldwide carbon tax, to redistribute wealth and shift sovereignty from nation-states to global entities. Uh, That's not a new world order, those people don't know what they're talking about. Schwab wrote that the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions, and bring about a great reset of capitalism. Or the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Who else said that? I think, uh, yeah, I do believe that was Justin Trudeau. At the 2021 Davos meeting, a Fortune 500 CEO affirmed WEF's assertion that capitalism, as we know have known, it is dead a new world order based on solidarity. One year ago, Pope Francis called for a new world order in a book titled God and the World to Come. He described the new order as a shift from financial speculation, fossil fuels, and a military buildup to a green economy based on inclusiveness. Okay, so if we're not going to have militaries anymore that are... uh, Why don't we... Yeah, why instead of you know converting everything over to green energy, why don't we just get rid of the militaries? I mean, and I, I support our military, you know, men and women that have sacrificed a lot in the name of our country. Uh, sometimes I think in a false political move, but in some roundabout ways are good for other societies to, you know, have somebody backing them up. I mean, that's kind of. What America has been about is protecting the, the weak and the ones that, you know, and that's why it was so easy, I think, for us to buy into the Ukraine thing, which, like I say, it's the it's the people that are getting hurt there. It's not that it's not realistically the government stuff and those people that are connected. I don't know. Like I say, well, let's see how that all unfolds. But uh, I could be right on that one. But. Uh, anybody and a lot of a lot of military ex-military people I've talked to that uh, have been on deployments and different things are are drawing down from different deployments the the u s military we we just gave them what eight hundred billion dollars in the last uh, budget spending bill. and unfortunately, there's so much of that money that gets just squandered on stupid stuff, and I and I get you know with like jet fuel and different things like that. We got to keep our pilots and stuff up to date on you know being at the top tip top of the class, uh, especially with the new technologies and stuff. You know you got to go out and fly these planes, fly the helicopters, you know, operate the 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 boats out on the ocean, and all the, all the stuff that comes with a military. A current military. It's expensive. There's a lot of fuel costs. That go into just our military. So if they're really serious about this. Why don't we just do away with the military. I mean that right there. Would reduce America's. Carbon footprint by a. A lot. And I don't really want to get into it. Because I mean there's. I'm not trying to down. Downgrade our military by any means. But. The way it's ran, the political aspect of our military is what's kind of what gives it a bad name. Or, you know, if you if you know about the dirty side of the military, anyways. Um, anyways, let me let me go on with this article here. I'm going to run out of time. Uh, duh, duh, duh. Francis said justice can be healed by building a new world order based on solidarity, studying innovative methods to eradicate bullying, poverty and corruption with all working together each for their own part without delegating and passing the buck. Now I don't know how he thinks that any of this stuff, however great it sounds in their minds is not going to have corruption. in it. I mean, that's I think just a built in default of humanity is the corruption, especially when you're talking about world governments and world, you know, economies and money and all that stuff. Uh, The path to humanity's salvation passes through the creation of a new model of development which unquestionably focuses on coexistence among peoples in harmony with creation, he said. Francis said the dominant speculative mentality of the global financial system must be reestablished with a soul to reduce the gap between those who have access to credit and those who do not. Uh, And there is some truth to that. I mean, the the way our credit system right now works is kind of crappy which kind of does, in some ways, disenfranchise certain people. But anyways, it is time to remove social injustice and marginalization, he said. If we seize the current trial as an opportunity, we can prepare for tomorrow under the banner of human fraternity, to which there is no alternative, because with an, without an overall vision, there will be no future for anyone. Um, but realistically, if you kind of look back through history, The more and more we have let government take over responsibilities, the worse and worse our lives have become. Uh, If we kind of reverted back the way it used to be, where uh, private entities used to be kind of incentivized to uh, do the right thing, I guess you could say, (laughs) Uh, things were a lot better. But the more and more we've punted the ball back to the government to be our keepers, I guess you could say, uh, let them tell us how to think and feel and do and whatever, you know, and somehow our lives are going to be better because we don't have to think about it. Right. Uh, Francis asserted, it should be clear that it is not enough to refine existing systems. He charged that the perverse global economic system keeps the poor on the margins while enriching the few. Um, unfortunately that's exactly what I just said that we keep punting the ball back to the government to solve our problems, and then the only way they solve the problem is by taking more money from us to try and fix the problem they created. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a mess. Uh, he opposes a right to property for individuals. Contending a social purpose and common good must come from sharing the earth's resources. So the Pope, uh, he doesn't believe that you uh, should own your own house. I mean, he's all in on this great... He said it sounds like to me. In November 2018, as WND reported, progressive filmmaker Michael Moore claimed Francis told him capitalism is a sin and urged Moore to continue making his left-leaning documentaries. Well, if that came from Moore, he's a freaking nut job anyway, so I can see why he said that. <sighs> but anyways, realistically, I mean, to explain this whole whole deal, I mean, it, would, it takes... A lot of time. Because to make it make sense. You got to add all the context to it. Uh, That's why I don't try. And just give you small little. Cherry picked clips from. These people that say this stuff. You know I want to give you the whole thing. As much of it as I can anyways. To give you the exact context. So you know I'm not just making crap up. Which sometimes I might be. And not even know. But most of the time I'm reading it from an article. Or clips that these people. Have been recorded in. And that's why I point you to these places like the World Economic Forum in this global uh, leaders summit or whatever the heck it was called. I forgot now. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so anyways. All I can say is if we're not paying attention. It's coming, and if we don't know how to fight back against it or even know what we're fighting against, we've already lost which, the way things have been going anyways, I mean, these governments are just doing it anyways. Oh, we're not taking away your rights, but we're going to do this anyways. We don't care what you think. It's for your own good. Just shut up and take it. Uh, I personally like to have my own freedom to do my own mistakes and learn from them, hopefully. And like I say, maybe maybe I'm completely wrong on all this global warming, climate change stuff, and we are all going to die in 12 years. Actually, I guess it's less than that now because that was said a few years ago. And for some reason just never happens because I think God developed this earth with all of its oil and all these things that aren't dinosaur bones that, you know, science now has proven that it's not. It's like, okay, so if we've got this much oil and it's a lot deeper in the earth than any dinosaurs ever would have been, uh, there's no way it's happening. It's happening probably from a process inside the earth, and it's it's like a byproduct of smelting, essentially. And if you know anything about smelting, which I worked in the smelter for a couple of years, so I kind of understand the process now and how it, the heat separates things, the good stuff and the bad stuff. You dump the bad stuff over there. You keep the good stuff over here to create something else. And that's kind of, I think, what the earth does too. I mean, we know if we're going to follow the science that our CO2 is absorbed by green plants and trees and they absorb it, turn it into oxygen. So instead of littering the plant with solar panels and windmills, How about we go on a tree planting expedition? That seems to make a lot more sense if we're trying to clean up our air until we figure out a more sustainable way of slowly transitioning off of fossil fuels or diversifying it to maybe a half and half. I mean, I'm not against electric cars. Uh, but if you don't have a grid system and you don't have people that can afford a $50,000 car, you know, like Colbert, he doesn't care if it goes to $15 a gallon for gas, he drives a Tesla because he's an elite in his own mind. (laughs) But, you know, these people got followers and like say with the, the tech industry these days, you know, these people blindly listen to all this crap and believe it is truth. They don't try and, they don't try and go out and read stuff or, uh, listen to the other opposing opinions. It's just this side is right. You're wrong. Shut up. And if you don't shut up, we're going to shout you down until you do. Um, but I don't put up with that. So here I am still spewing out my conspiracy theories. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this, this podcast for this week, hopefully it will make up for you not hearing me last week. If you're even still listening to this podcast, uh, I would like to know how your lives are being affected out here in the real world. I mean, this is where I live. I mean, like I say, this just kind of turned into a hobby for me. So if you can, or if you want, The Nielsen Show 2021 at Outlook.com. Nielsen spelled N-I-E-L-S-O-N. Uh, write me a letter. Let me know how things are going out there in the real world. You know, we'll, we'll let everybody else know because we're the people that don't have a voice out there. All the talking heads, all them people, you know, they have their opinions and, you know, them telling us what we should think and all that fun stuff. So I would like to give out the the real world people's uh, thoughts and what's really going on with you out there. So if you would like to feel inclined to, send me an email and uh, let's talk about it, shall we? Until next week, I'm going to try and stay on top of keeping these weekly podcasts going. Uh, This is the Nielsen Show. Thank you for listening. We'll see you then.